good day everybody welcome to another merged worlds dungeons and dragons stream um <clears throat> uh, we will of course continue on from where we left off but i have a uh, few things we'll chat about first <clears throat> um i'm pretty pretty excited about it because um, we're getting to some of my favorite stuff that i've ever written in the in the story so very pleased but <clears throat> Again, I appreciate everybody coming by and let me tell my story. Uh, hopefully you are enjoying it as well. Uh, hello, Teresa. I so said we've got Jim and Ashley here. Tagmaster, MT, and 4ETW. Well, hello, hello. <clears throat> so, uh, just to begin, I'll say the part of the story that we're getting in today, I have written twice. I have an overview, and then I have the actual conversations of some of the interactions between people. Um, so there's several different things we're going to bounce back and forth from, um, but it's all, of course, the same story. Uh, Adrian Dees, did you recover from yesterday's challenge? Yes. I woke up feeling perfectly fine today. I didn't have any after effects at all. <laughs> Am I a DM or a player? Uh, Leap Frostbite asks. I'm a dungeon master. I only DM and I've been Run, the story I'm sharing on stream here, I've been writing and running for close to 30 years across uh, several different groups. Um, so when one, one group ends or falls apart or I relocate, the next group is their characters and uh, the previous characters are like historical figures or NPCs that the story is based on. So it's all one cohesive storyline, uh, although the people that are in it only know their part very often. <clears throat> a little bit. Finding out what, very often finding out the early stuff is part of a group's first uh, adventure is, okay, we're doing this and we have to learn what the previous group has caused and how we have to take over the quest to continue it. Um, so I think a total of like three or four groups really are the heart of this, this adventure in the story. <clears throat> um, but I'll do, a, as always, a little brief recap, talk about where we left off, and then I will move into the next part of the story. Um, before we jump into that, though, uh, there is one thing I wanted to mention. I have a new addiction that I've mentioned a couple times. Um, so Hero, Hero Forge is a website you can go to and design minis, custom minis of uh, your characters and theft to be used while playing Dungeons & Dragons. And I'd never really messed with it until this past week. And I got on there and I started creating characters for a lot of the, the Merged Worlds folks. Um, they're expensive. Like, I'm not going to buy those anytime soon, but... I can save them on there. You save them. You can also screenshot them. So I've got pictures to show you what some of the characters look like. Um, and, you know, I, up until this point, I very commonly use actors and actresses or famous people to represent them, uh, which I will still continue to do. But I thought it'd be nice sometimes to have some of the actual what the character looks like in their garb and how they dress uh, within the limitations of what Hero Forge gives, which there's a lot of options there. Um, so I'm going to start off today just by kind of showing off uh, a few of the ones that I put together. Um, so you can get an idea of what I see in my mind when I, I see the characters adventuring or living or whatever the case may be. So hopefully you'll find that interesting as well. Um, so we're going to start with uh, two characters that aren't in today's part of the adventure. This is uh, characters that we, we, at this point, if you're new here, our group has split. Two have gone on one direction, two have gone on another. And so we're, uh, we did the first group for a little while, came to a cliffhanger ending. And then we would do it in this group. And then we'll go back to that one afterwards. So, All right. I'm going to grab them. So that is the one that I have for Darsh. And that is the one that I have for Mercy. 
So, of course, Darsh, Mercy are both warriors. Uh, Mercy is equivalent to becoming the Queen of Serenity. And Darsh has his own uh, ships and islands. Um, but that is, uh, that is kind of what I picture them as when they're out bumbling around. Um, one of my favorite things is that you can add stuff on the ground next to them. Uh, and on Darsh's, there's a little treasure chest. But most importantly, there's a pie. And the fact that that was an option made me giddy. Because I consistently talk, of course, about how much Darsh loves to eat. And pie being his favorite thing in the world. So, I wanted to start those. But let's see here. So, for the characters we're actually hanging out with today, uh, there is Dandy, and there is Artemis. So, Artemis is an elven cleric of healing, the god Tavian. Uh, if you've not been here before, my, my game is a homebrew, so Pantheon of Gods, the world, all of it is, is my design. So, Tavian is the god of healing. Dandy is a kender, uh, kender rogue. And I like that they had a... Uh, crystal-type dagger with flames, because that's what they did with the artifact dagger that they got previously, which we'll cover again in a moment. Um, let's see. After uh, Artemis... I really like the, the color options they had for Dandy. It was very nice. So there's Artemis and Dandy. Uh, now, Draven, of course, is the NPC that they're traveling with right now. And we'll, again, I'm going to cover the, the recap in just a moment. And then Michael is Dandy's husband, who's a human, uh, but he's relatively short for a human. And he has the magical staff Menandra that when he merges with it, his eyes go purple and his hair goes all white and it's an undead killing device. So we've got that. Uh, but those are the uh, big ones, characters that we have traveling with us today. Um, and well, some generic NPCs I don't have figures for, but we'll talk about them as well. So to recap, um, Artemis, Michael, and Dandy have joined with Draven on his quest to kill or destroy a great evil, he says. Um, Artemis made a bargain years ago that when the time came and he needed her help, she would go in exchange for uh, his help in saving Michael's life. Michael and Dandy are undead hunters, so they're not real happy about this situation because Draven shows up on the undead spectrum, although there's never really been a discussion of what he is. Uh, and Menandra which is the name of the uh, spear he uses, which is an intelligent weapon, but only speaks to him tele uh, to Michael telepathically, doesn't know what Draven is either, and that's never happened before for Menandra. So it's uh, a little bit confusing there. Um, so they uh, traveled, uh, found this underground uh, hidden ruins thing where they had to go through a bunch of traps and such, and they got a hold of this magical crystal dagger, uh, which looks like, you know, you pinch it and it would shatter, but it's incredibly sturdy. It doesn't break at all. Um, and when placing it into different types of liquids or items, it can take on its properties. So they put it in the fire, use the code word, and now it's a flaming dagger. Even though the handle is flaming as well, it doesn't burn the person who's wearing it. Um, and, and it becomes a dagger of fire. It can catch things on fire, be used as a torch, gives off light, um, so on and so forth. So that's what it is currently. And there's another command word that they have that will basically release that energy, and it goes back to just being a blank dagger. And as the crystal dagger, it's just a plus one dagger. Um, depending on what you've merged it with will determine any special features and bonuses that it gets in each situation. So that was the first artifact that they got. And Draven let them know that he there are three artifacts that they have to have to be able to defeat whatever this is they're going after. 
and we're going to get into a little bit of what that is today. So they uh, traveled with him at that point to um, a village, uh, the village of Wantalu, which is a race that I call tribals. Um, they would be very, and I don't mean this in any way disrespect, but they're very much based on uh, Native Americans in race. Uh, so they're not each tribe, they, they have their own names, but they're, they're much like uh, different tribes we have here in the way that they look and the way that they dress. Um, and the Wantalu is currently the primary tribe. In each generation, a prophet is born to um, one of the tribes. Whichever tribe it's born to, that one basically becomes the primary or head tribe, making major decisions for the group, um, for the group of tribes moving forward. And they never know which one it's going to be. Um, and if anyone forcefully kills the uh, prophet or anything like that, you know, if somebody tried to kill him to get it in their own tribe, it would curse their tribe to no longer ever get a prophet. So it's very, very, the way that it was created, I went over a little bit last time. Uh, these people are friends of Draven. Um, Draven returns. He's welcome there as normal. They don't think anything odd about him. Um, and they meet Shastra, who is like 12 years old, 11, 12 years old. And she is the prophet at this point. She's the one who's been guiding Draven on his quest through her prophecies and, and such. So still childlike, like a child. She's not like an adult in a child's body, but she does have um, those moments of clarity where she definitely seems older than she is. And most of her prophecies are through what she draws. So they were at, of course, a little, there was a little, you know, changing of the seasons thing going on, a little celebration. Near the end of the celebration, Shasta arrives and says that she's had a gift and that Draven has to go for the second artifact. And he must travel uh, south to um, a place called the uh, Cave of Winds. And that, uh, of course, Mercy, I'm sorry, Artemis, Dandy and Michael will be going with them, but he, they must also uh, be escorted by six members of the tribe. And her prophecy basically said which six it was. So uh, five pretty important characters uh, moving forward. Uh, we'll cover their names a little bit later, but because uh, I've already covered them once. But they also have the uh, the sixth one was a, a kid named Tevin. And Tevin is like 11 years old. And he, he hadn't even reached his naming uh, ceremony yet, which as an adult, they get named as such. Uh, and, but he, you know, that's a prophecy, you gotta go. So he, uh, he ended up going with Artemis uh, and uh, Dandy and Draven on their quest. Let me grab my chair here to set this binder on. I got four binders worth of information here. Okay, so they were uh, heading out the next morning and they were leaving to go on, or next evening, I'm sorry, they travel at night. When they were heading to the Cavern of Winds, um, Shastra whispered a little something into each one of the warrior's ears. Uh, it's believed a small prophecy or, oh goodness, or something uh, for them uh, only. And then gave each one of our four main characters, Draven, Artemis, Danny, and Michael, a sealed uh, parchment tube. So, uh, or scroll case, if you will. Uh, and each, in each, each one of them is a prophecy just for them. And that they'll know when it's time to open it. So they take it, and they begin to head south. And that's where we left off. All right, so before I jump into moving forward, are there any questions about any of that stuff? <laughs> Ruby's Cube Gang, yes. And my wife got me that. I'd never, hadn't had one in years. She got me that, and she got, I got the Magic 8-Ball, which I'd never had and wanted one. 
um, but yeah, pretty excited to continue on, and uh, we will see where we get to. All right, let me grab that here. All right, so um, we'll continue. I need to preface some of the upcoming story as it into something. There's some situations that are going to pop in that um, are things I'd never had to write before. It's the first time I'd, I'd done some storylines like this. And so uh, some of the writing is... When I look back on it, the story's cool, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not super happy with some of the actual snippets to read out because I, uh, I feel like I got better over time. But I'm still going to read them. Uh, but take that with a grain of salt. Uh, it's the first time I've written some of these scenarios. So, uh, type of scenarios. So, uh, a, a little bit of uh, forgiveness would be appreciated. <laughs> okay. So, they're traveling south. Now, um, the Wantaloo that they're with, six of them, five regular adult men and uh, Tevin, they, those six know where this Cavern of the Winds is. Um, only one of them's ever been there, but uh, it's something that has been um, a known place for a very long time. That at times people go there, and um, very often elders near the end of their life will go there and make a prayer uh, that their spirits will enter the cave because it's meant, meant to believe that uh, the spirits of their ancestors are in there and is what is protecting uh, the cave itself. No one's none of, no one in living memory has ever been in the cave. Um, I have to stress that. The area that is covers the tribals is a very large chunk of world. As you know, Merged Worlds is made up of many different worlds that were just grabbed and thrown together in a climactic event. But some areas are very small, some are much larger. There, a large chunk of the tribals world came into this, um, which could be important later, but we'll talk about it. But, uh, uh, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to a lot of that. You know, uh, uh, ordered chaos as the god had mentioned previously. So, all the lands that they're traveling through currently are lands that the Wantaloo are familiar with. Um, and as such, there, there's not a lot of, are we going to find, are we going the right place? Uh, they know where they're going. But it is still um, a several-day travel to get there. Um, and they travel in the evenings, uh, not during the day. Now, uh, for anyone who's not been here before, Draven, very pale skin, white hair, extraordinary strength, magical abilities. Um, at this point, you know, it's assumed he's some type of vampire. I've never come out and said it, but I mean, it's definitely been heavily implied. And he's always made sure that they traveled at night, not during the day. Um, up until this point, no one's ever seen him out in the daylight or such. So that's just, I was trying to imply it without blatantly saying it, right? So I wanted that there. Um, but as they're traveling and heading south, um, they have a chance to basically chat, you know, over several days. And it's during this time period that the characters and, um, several of the NPCs, the, the Draven especially, but also some of the Wantaloo, uh, get clued into some of the story that leads up to this point. Now... I need to check with everybody, because I forget. Did I give any of Draven's backstory in the last evening? I don't 
think I did. But if anybody here was here last time, I'd appreciate it. Um, I'll give you guys a second for that to catch up. I know there's a delay. Um, uh, as they're traveling, you know, again, they travel at night, sleep during the day. A lot of times, Draven will be with them and then disappear. They don't see him at all during the daytime. Don't think I did. Okay, I didn't think so either. Surprisingly, uh, recently, while my wife and I were bumbling around uh, driving uh, to Nashville, which is a three-hour drive, I told her a big chunk of the story, um, including some of the stuff I haven't told you guys yet. Um, and since I've recently told a lot of that in my head, I couldn't remember which part went to her, which part went to you guys. Um, but she really has never heard much of the story until very recently, and I just give her even a vague overview to let her know what was going on. Uh, but it's, it's not really, fantasy isn't really her thing, uh, so I haven't really bothered her with it. But she was asking some questions, so I went over a little bit. So, as they are traveling, right, um, several different things happen. And thank you, Teresa, I appreciate that. Um, one thing is, right off the bat, of course, Tevin looks completely out of his element. I mean, he has all the regular clothing. He's got a weapon like everybody else. He's got a bow. He's got um, daggers. Because uh, they're all archers. Every one of them has it. But some of them actually have swords or other weapons. Uh, he has just a bow and a dagger. Um, but he looks out of place. And he's constantly, you know, looking at the... Trying to follow the leads of the other warriors. What they do, he does. Um, but when jobs are given out, you know, they're making camp. You know, set up a defense, you know, look for guards and stuff. He's often given some of the menial tasks, like gather wood and such, which, to be honest, he's happy for, because that's stuff he can do. But he definitely feels like a fish out of water in this group. He's just a kid. Um, although he's all, he's still taller than Dandy. And uh, probably Michael at this point. Um, so, uh, as, as they're going along, several questions pop out. And one night, uh, it, while they're, you know, camping, because they they're not traveling nonstop. They're not in a hard race. Draven doesn't push them to hurry at this point, but of course he doesn't want a lot of lollygagging either. He's on a quest and wants to get it done. But one night thing before Draven had appeared, um, Michael had just come out and asked uh, the leader of the tribals, which his name uh, is Jalen. There we go. Asked Jalen what... Uh, how is it that the tribe came to know Draven? Jalen is uh, one of the only ones in the group that speaks common. Uh, there's him and one other warrior, and Tevin actually speaks pretty decent common. Uh, the younger generation being now in the world where there's more races and such than they had before, it's something that the young are being taught older. Oh, goodness, sorry. The belief that it's easier to teach young than it is older. So a lot of the younger... Uh, members of the tribe are being taught common, and Draven's helped with that as well. He's fluent in multiple languages. Hint, clue. <laughs> um, so, uh, Jalen tells you know, a little bit of the story, and they, they, he doesn't get into uh, too much. Oh, what's this here? How do you get those teleport pads in Sky Factory 4? If you're talking about the elevator block that you can stand on and go up and down, you want to do a search for elevator block. There's multiple different colors. The white one's the easiest, but you can just use any color wool you like to change the color of it. There you go. <laughs> Quick question off topic there. Um, so, he says that Draven had, uh, had come to the tribe several years earlier. 
fits the timeline, uh, soon after the merge happened. Although they have their own word for what the merge is called. I don't remember what it is. But uh, soon after that happened, Shastra sent several members of the tribe to a place to retrieve someone that she said was important. Now, at this point, she was probably like you know, 10, 11 herself, right? So I think she's like, she's like 13 or 14 now, if I'm correct. I've written down somewhere. She's like, she, I know she's older than Tevin by a couple of years. He's like 11. Uh, but she was younger, and she sent them, and they went and returned with Draven. Uh, Shastra said that they, he, was to be a, he was a friend and important to the tribe itself and such. Um, and so that is what, uh, how he kind of came in there. And the, they just don't question the, the prophet, right? You just do what the prophet says. Not like in a commanding, do this or else way, but they know that the prophet's being guided by the gods and, or a god or whoever. And uh, however they get there, or whoever is involved with those prophecies, they know that that's just something that's going to, you know, coming from the word of the Lord themselves. How do I teleport from one little island to another? Uh, you can't. Teleport, they only go up or down. If you want to teleport from one place to another, you're going to need a portal gun. But there really isn't another way to port from one to another without using something like a portal gun or a device. Portal gun being the easiest to make, hardest to build, because you need nether stars. Uh, but there isn't really a way to just teleport from one island to another unless they're directly above or beneath each other. Okay, so since then, uh, he Draven leaves for sometimes long periods of months on end, and then he comes back like nothing's happened. Uh, he has his own, like we've already talked about, his own little tent place that he lives there, because um, it is a permanent village. They don't move around. Um, a place that's his, and no one ever goes in there when, when he's not there. That's his private place and his private space. So... <clears throat> They learn that, but there's not a, they don't have a whole lot of detail because they're basically like, hey, he showed up. We were told he was going to show up. He's going to be a friend of the place. He hangs out. And they talk about how he's gone on hunts with them before. And he's always been an asset, and he brings back things for the, for the group. And he almost always shows up with some type of, like, here's a deer. And he just walk in carrying a deer. He's super strong. Um, or bringing in other items like weapons or uh, tools, things that he's found out on his journey that he feels that the Wantaloo could benefit from having. Uh, so... Uh, he's, he's always, he's, say he's always good-natured, relatively jovial, which is a side that these guys haven't really seen. But he's like, oh yeah, he'll make a laugh, make a joke once in a while. He's always seems a bit distance, a distant, uh, but over time, he became more and more of just like a regular member of the tribe. Um, soon after that, Draven arrives, the questioning ends, they continue traveling on. Um, and this goes on for a couple of days. Like I said, it's about, they estimated it to be about a three-night, three-day travel to get to the Cave of Winds, which they do make it to on the third night. <clears throat> the only other thing of interest that happens during this time period, other than they get to talk to the Wantaloo and get a little information about their relationship with Draven, uh, and they get a little more information about how the prophet thing works with the... Uh, with the different tribes and the political stuff of the different tribes. Things that were important to them at the time, but aren't really important for the story. So I'm kind of breezing over that. Um, the other thing is, Tevin starts following Artemis around a little bit. Like she, every so often, just turn around, it's like he's underfoot. Um, you know, he's always asking if she needs help with things. Is there anything he can do to help out? So on and so forth. Whenever he gets done doing any work given to him by one of the older tribals, He's always like, do you need help with anything? Do you need help setting up your tent? Do you need a fire? You know, And uh, Artemis appreciates uh, that he wants to be so helpful. 
but it, it starts to happen a bit more and more where the other characters are like, boy, that, that kid's sure paying her a lot of attention. So they reach the Cave of the Winds, uh, and they reach it early morning. So they basically set up camp outside, um, and Draven says, I want to wait till the next day, which they do. Um, there's no buildings or anything around here, uh, but there are carvings in the stone. Uh, the Cave of Winds itself is not large. It's almost like a really big rock, like a big rock the size of a house was jammed into the ground or shot up out of the ground. So um, it just very much steep, comes up almost to jagged points. Um, and on one side of it, there's almost like a big crack. Um, and again, it's as big around as a house. No, I should say that's. I guess that's not very, very. There's a lot of different size houses. Um, smaller than a basketball court, if that helps. <clears throat> Probably about half a court. That sounds about real for what I'm thinking. Half a basketball court. It's about how big around this thing is. <clears throat> and there's a big crack in it, and you can hear <clears throat> a very like low pitched whistling noise as the wind is consistently blowing out of this cave. Um, but all around it, there's carvings near the entrance and such, and. Um, as they mentioned, sometimes little, you may find leftovers of sticks or wood or things that was some type of offering that was left that over time has decayed or fallen apart. Um, they, not many have come here since the merge, uh, but there's, there's signs of that type of thing, places where flowers would have been laid and things of that nature. Uh, cause it is considered a holy site. And, uh, here we go. So they re have no problem throughout the day. Everything seems fine. They rest, they get up the next night. Life is pretty decent. Um, and they're preparing to go into the cave. Now, Draven, uh, right off the bat, states that he's going to go first. Um, Michael has definitely clarified that, according to Menandra, there's nothing of an undead in that area. Um, she would sense any type of living dead. She doesn't come out and say it, but basically Draven's the only thing given off that, <laughs> that aura in the, in the vicinity they're in right now. Um... And Danny's like, yeah, but I do the trap shit. And I go first. I'm, I'm a rogue, so on and so forth. And Draven's like, no, I'm, I think I'm going to go first to be on the safe side here. Because I don't know what's inside. And he's physically stronger than all of them. By a lot. Super strength, basically. So they all approach the cave. And there's not really like a, a line. They're just kind of all giggled around. And the wind is coming out. When, you, when you're standing at the crack of the rock, the wind just feels like a breeze. Um, and they were told this by the time. Because it gets harder blowing the further you get in, and at one point you just can't move forward. Um, Draven's like, well, most people can't, but I'm way strong. So, Draven enters first, and he says, you guys basically hang out here for a minute. The party's like, ah, we don't like that, but okay. Um, we're going to poke our heads in and look a little bit, but we're not going to go in. He's going to check the place out first. So Draven goes into the dark cave, and he doesn't take a torch or anything with him. Draven, like many of these people, have Infravision. Artemis and Dandy do. Michael does not. Neither do any of the tribals. I should notate that for, for later purposes. Artemis, Dandy, and Draven all have Infravision. Um, so Draven goes in. It's pretty dark inside because he waited till nighttime. <clears throat> and a minute later, he's coming back out again. Very, very frustrated look on his face. Like, did you run into a problem? He's like, I can't get through the wind. He's like, the wind is so strong that he goes, it doesn't take long before I'm at the point where I'm just being blown backwards. I'm standing in place. Uh, he goes, I tried literally grabbing the rock, in other words, sticking his fingers in the rock to pull himself. It didn't make a difference. He, he could not move forward. 
And they're like, oh, okay, well, that's not good because you're kind of the one that uh, we were here to help out. So if you can't get in there, that's not good. Um, so they're like, okay, well, let's try this again. So they're like, you know, it's not like a, a physical thing other than the wind. So there's no doors, nothing like that. It's just a deep, dark cave, and the wind gets stronger the, the further you go in. And the cave does go downward into the ground. I should stress that as well. So Draven, frustrated, said, okay, well, I don't know what else to do. There's nobody else stronger here than me. And Danny's like, well, let me go. You know, I'm, I'm a rogue. Maybe I can find a, a path or something where the... She's the sneaky one where the wind isn't blowing as much. Maybe I can find a place or maybe there's a hidden door that goes around it. And Draven's like, okay, yeah, give that a shot. And Dandy goes in and Michael goes in with her because they don't separate very much. Not that he protects her. Half the time she protects him, but it's still good to have someone having your back there. <laughs> Dandy saves Michael way more than Michael saves Dandy, to be honest. Dandy, Michael is badass against undead. Easily. Uh, but against regular stuff, Dandy's still got the edge. So she's just higher level, if you will, as a character. Um, and so they go inside and they're looking around and they come back out a few minutes later. Same situation. They went as far as they could and she didn't find any secret passageways or anything of that nature um, as far as they could go. And they could go about the same distance before they were literally being just almost blown off of their feet. Uh, but she wasn't able to find any traps, any secret doors, anything like that at all. Um, so next, Artemis is like, well, I guess I should give it a try. Um, and Draven's not happy. He goes, you know, he knows how important Artemis is to his quest. He doesn't know how she's important. And that's, again, the thing I have to stress. He was given information from Shoster that says he cannot succeed on this quest unless Artemis helps him. And she has to help of her own choice. He can't, like, force her. Like, she, made a, she made a deal, but that was her choice to do so. He can't, like, you know, I'll kill your friends if you don't help me, or, you know, grab her and drag her along. She has to help everyone else. So there's also the concern of, you know, everybody. he's told everybody that. They know that. So he's like, I'm not sure I feel about Artemis going in there. It's understandable. She goes in there, something bad happens, and dies. His quest is gone. So he has a lot more concern about that. He's like, all right, well, she's going to go in. I'm, I'll go in with her. So if anything funky does happen, I can at least try to help. Artemis accepts that. The two of them go in. And no extra luck. They get in there again, and while they're in there, um, Artemis actually can go a little bit further than Draven is, just by a little bit, by a couple of feet, before the wind stops her as well. Um, she tries casting a couple of spells using her magic. She's, again, a cleric. But again, cleric of healing. She has some non-healing spells, too. Um, not a lot of damaging spells, but she has... Uh, other stuff. Tried to detect magic in there, none of that kind of stuff, so they don't find anything. They don't have any luck. They end up leaving the cave. So, I'm going to say that when they, when they were playing this, it took them a little while. <laughs> there were a lot of different ideas about what to try and do. Um, after that, they decided to try different combinations of people. And they started pairing up. First, they you know, one person with one of the tribals, and they start switching it around, and they had a lot of combinations that they tried over the next little while. And I'm not going to lie, the players got a little frustrated. Um, but uh, eventually, um, it came down to um, Artemis and one of the tribals uh, named Tian. Yes. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Sorry. 
Mael. Wrong one. Mael. And when she and Mael walk inside, the cave isn't as dark. It's almost like glowing a little bit. Like there's a, a hint of a light from somewhere. Um, and right off the bat, they report that. And Dream's like, okay. And he steps in to see, and it goes back out again, and the wind starts blowing as hard as it was before. And they're like, okay, well, Draven steps back out, starts to light up a little bit. This is the first reaction they've had from, from the cave at all. And they've been here a couple hours trying different things in different combinations. And when they get in there, um, Mael does not look very happy about it. Artemis sees this, but doesn't want to say anything. But he's like, okay, let's continue. And as they're walking forward, the wind is still blowing hard. Um, to the point that it's it's buffeting them, but they are going further than they could before. Um, together, anyways. And when the wind starts to get really blowing hard, um, Artemis reaches out and Mile takes her hand, and the wind lessens, and they're able to move a little bit more forward. And um, there's a light ahead of them. So, basically what ended up happening is, as they move their way forward... They come across not a door, but an archway. And the archway is very carved. And the carvings are um, tribal carvings. They, you know, Miles specifically <clears throat> understands them. Uh, and he's, he can read them. It takes a minute because they're, they're really old. <clears throat> as long as they're holding hands, they can move through the wind pretty well. Um, but as he's reading it, it tells a story. You know, because that's just kind of how their history works. It tells a story um, of a great... Uh, warrior um, and his daughter and that they had um, been on a quest or so on and so forth they were they were trying to avenge someone and they came across an uh, an item of great power that allowed them to um, what's the wording give me a second allowed them to to go where they could not go before without being stopped. And that's how the wording comes across. Again, because I'm, I'm, it's, it's vague. It's through hieroglyphics and pictures and such. But um, allowed them to go where they couldn't go before without being stopped. Hello, WD Ghost. Thank you for coming by. And Elite. Um, Softy pulls away. Yeah, I've, I've got so many D&D characters. Never messed with dra Dragonborn stuff, though. That came out a little bit after me. Um, and then it also states that um, in order, in order to get this art, this magical item, a high sacrifice had to be made for one uh, for one to succeed. Two could no longer walk together. Again, it was wording like that. I don't have the exact, but it was meant to be broken up and, and vague. And Artemis is like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and uh, Mael's like, Yeah, me either. Okay. Um, and they decide to carry to go on through this archway. Now the archway, there's a glow from inside, but the archway immediately shifts like to the right. Like you go in and there's like a, a curse. They can't see where it goes because um, they the, the path that they were on kind of went to the left, almost like they're going around the outer rim of the inside of this rock. If that makes sense, kind of like a that's a horrible example. Cinnamon bun, you know what I'm talking about? Honey bun, like they're they're going around in a spiral or a shell, something like that. Um, but they go through the archway, and once they go through the archway, there's no more wind. There's the sound of wind, like way loud. 
blowing really, really heavy and so on and so forth. <clears throat> but they, uh, they, they know that. Uh, so they're going through and they hear it and they feel like just they, there's no breeze or anything. It's just dead air. But the wind is sound is so hard. It's like there's a, a hurricane. They can barely hear each other talk kind of thing. And so it's mostly pointing and you know getting right up into someone's ear if they have to say something. And they continue this spiral um, and things get louder and louder to the point that their heads are starting to hurt. Uh, and they, till they get to a center chamber that is rounded. Now, when they enter into this chamber, um, the noise drops. Not completely. They can still hear it, uh, like a dull roar, but it's not as bad as it was. And looking inside on the round room, there are ledges. And I say that like, it's not one big ledge that goes round, but there'll be like a ledge, then a space, then a ledge. And there are different things on each of the ledges. Um, and many of them appear to be stuff you'd expect to find. A, a small doll-looking thing, uh, a, a dream catcher kind of stuff. The stuff you'd expect to find. Uh, maybe even a weapon that's very, very old and falling apart at this point. A bow that the string has long frayed um, and the wood is starting to splinter from age. Um, things of that nature on each one of these. And they're inside and they're looking around. They haven't really gone in far yet. They just stepped inside. The wind dropped. And they're like, okay. Artemis is thinking about casting another Detect Magic spell. Dandy's not here. She doesn't have anything to find traps. And that has always been a concern of this group. Uh, but she goes ahead and she's like, okay, I'm going to cast a spell. That's what she, she tells me. And she begins that when a voice says, that will not be necessary. In broken common. Mael whips out his dagger real quick, because where'd this voice come from? There's no one in front of him. There's no one behind him. And he can't shoot a bow. It's a small room. So he whips out his dagger, and Artemis is like, okay, now who is that? And on one of the ledges, the shape of a person starts to, to, to form, uh, almost like they're sitting on it, if you will. And at the way they're sitting on it, they can tell, okay, these aren't just ledges, these were chairs at one point. It's like a group of people would sit here and, and speak towards the middle. And shape appears on one of them. And it's a, a, a male figure. And he's definitely tribal, but he's spirit only. Like, you can see right through him, he's clearly not physical, he's corporal. Uh, and immediately, Mael puts his dagger away. Because he's like, we're in a holy place. These are the spirits. I can't mess with that kind of stuff. And he drops to his knees. And Artemis is like, well, I don't pray to you. I'm not dropping to my knees. But, you know, shows respect and such. And uh, Mael, one of the ones that speaks common, I should say, was Mael. I should point that out. That's why they've been able to talk. He's one of the ones that could. Mael and Jalen, the head one, and then a little bit of Tevin. Uh, he said he's he's got fifty fifty, but he's getting better. He's learning from these guys as they're traveling, um, and he he stands up again, of course, because the the spirit basically says, "Rise, child," and blah blah blah. Uh, again, I don't have the little script from what I actually read at this point. It is something that well got lost to the years of time. It's not in here, so I'm doing this part from memory. Um, and he states that he knows why. He goes, he knows why you have come, and he knows for what you seek. That the, the goal of your quest is noble, which at that moment, that makes Artemis feel good. Because, you know, she's a, she's a good cleric. And she only has what Draven's told her at this point. You know, she doesn't know exactly how noble this is or not. 
and he's like, he says, the, the quest you're on is noble, but shrouded in darkness. Then her heart is not as happy to hear that part. And it, it states the son from another land is being hunted just as he hunts the hunter. And if the hunter finds him, all will be lost. And they say, he says, it is possible to hide the son of another land from the eyes of darkness. But such magic comes at a price. And he, the spirit looks at Mael and says, you are the son of my people. You must speak for them. Will your tribe pay the price? I'm sorry, will you and your tribe pay the price? That was the question. Will you and your tribe pay the price? And Mael just looks just torn. Because he's making a bargain on behalf of his people. And Artemis tries to interject and ask some things, but... Spirit basically is ignoring her at this point. Obviously aware of her. He's looked at her at times, but he's primarily speaking to them or Mael. He's not really asking her for anything. She asks questions and he ignores it. After a moment, uh, Mael says, um, the Wantaloo will pay the price to shroud from darkness. And the spirit nods and then all the little... Uh, chair-like areas start to glow. And like this guy, they take the form of people, but not as detailed. It's more just more like figureless shape. And he goes and he sits back down on his chair. And the room gets very bright and blue, and then when it, it goes up, and then almost like a pop, and the light goes out, and it's back to just the dull glow they had before, sitting where that guy sat is something shining that they did not see before, reflecting in the light. And Mayal steps over to it and picks it up, and it is an amulet on a very fine chain. The chain is incredibly strong, but it looks very, very fine. Um, and the amulet has a red gem in the middle that almost is colored like blood. Um, just to give you an idea, it's like a dark, darkish bright red. Um, and then it's, it's embossed in silver and another metal that looks kind of like brass. Although it, it doesn't look like it's worn. It doesn't really scratch anything like that. Hello, Game Slayer. Thank you for coming by. <laughs> um, but that's the amulet. And the amulet itself is probably about that big around. Almost the, the size of a holy symbol uh, that most of the clerics wear. Um, but he's able to pick it up, and there's not a problem. You know, He picks it up, but then he starts hearing the winds slowly getting louder, and they start to feel a bit of a breeze, and they're like, Whoop, we gotta go. And so he and Artemis start booking it, and they actually start going pretty fast because the wind is starting to blow them further, harder and harder, and if they don't get to a certain point, the fear is that the wind is going to start smacking them against the rock. Which, there was a timer. They had to make a couple checks, roll checks, to see if they can get there. That kind of a thing. Uh, Elite Frostbite says, Are you still a DM? Yes, I'm on a bit of a hiatus. Uh, but here next year, I'm going to be starting to do some more live D&D stuff here on the channel. Um, it'll take place in the Merged Worlds universe. Uh, but with new characters and uh, different people of the community. I've got a couple different ideas of how we're going to do that, uh, so I don't have anything concrete to throw at you, but uh, yes, I'll be DMing again 
this world uh, in the early of next year, uh, once I get some stuff down on paper, which I'm excited about. I've always played 2nd edition, uh, but I've bought all the 5th edition stuff. Since most people playing now are more familiar with 5th, I'm going to convert myself to 5th as well. <clears throat> Over the next month or so, familiarize myself with the mechanics of it. So that way when I do start playing, we can play in a way that people are a little more familiar. Uh, gameplay or storytelling? It's going to be gameplay. Uh, it, it is going to be gameplay, yes. So the, the concept is, just as a, a rough outline, is I have a central location, probably a really big city or something. And then people can roll up characters of any type to play in that city. And there will be um, short adventures, very short, one or two day adventures, where they'll play and then I can grab other people with their characters and play. So basically I'm setting it up where there's a bunch of different characters in this city. And I can cross them. The rogue from this group is now helping the mage from this group get this priest from a third group to where he needs to be. And it's all going to have a cohesive storyline in the background that over time all of these guys have been working, or girls and everybody, will be working towards uh, a common issue, threat or goal or whatever. Um, but it allow me to play with members of the community without the fear of people not showing up. If it's just one or two short things, then I can swap people in and out as needed. Uh, somebody can't make it. We're not stuck because one person can't make it that day, which is always the biggest challenge of a D&D &D group is getting everybody to show up. So I think that's we're going to be looking into doing that next year. Uh, again, I've still got to hammer out the specifics, but I've got an idea of how it's going to work. I, I just got to make sure I can do it all with this 5th edition stuff. Uh, so Artemis and Mael make their rolls successfully and manage to get out of the Cape of the Winds. Although the last few steps, they're, uh, they're being pushed. <laughs> and they get outside. Um, so they go outside and they tell everybody what was going on. And uh, Jalen does not seem very happy. And he takes Mael aside and they walk off a little bit. And they're over chatting while everybody else is looking. And, uh, you know, Draven takes the artifact. He's looking at it, and he's like, I can tell this is pretty powerful. It's definitely got magic aura about it. Artemis could tell the same thing. But they don't know exactly what it does. But the story said, son of another land. Draven is, you know, they're talking about it. And this is the thing, Artemis and Dandy, because Dandy wasn't there for any of that, so the young lady who was playing that, her, couldn't give her two thoughts until Artemis came out and told her the story. So now they're bantering back and forth. Hey... Well, who should wear it? Who is this? Should somebody put it on? Do we need to detect magic first? Uh, Artemis is like, I don't feel like we need to detect magic. With what we just did, I believe it was a good thing. I didn't feel any evil. Um, and the more powerful something is, the less likely she's going to be able to figure out what it is with detect magic anyways. So, it's determined and discussed, okay, clearly Draven needs to be the one to wear this, right? They've got that crystal dagger, uh, but Draven basically told Dandy, you need to hang on to that. And again, it was in... A dungeon almost perfect for Dandy. It was designed as a rogue dungeon. There was traps and there was puzzles. And while they all helped, Dandy was the one who really had to get the thing. And Draven's like, no, I think that was intended for you. You hang on to that. But this one very much seems like it comes to him. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to put it on. Everybody get ready to you know, beat me up or cast spells on me. Whatever you need to do in case this does something weird. Um, and then at that point... Jalen comes back with uh, my own. Neither one of them look happy, but they look more composed. Like, they're like, like okay. Like, uh, like it's kind of like when you get your bill and it's more than you expect it to be at a restaurant. 
You're like, how did we get $70? I only had chicken wings. And then you look at it and you add it all up and you're like, okay, I'm not happy about it, but I see where the seven, okay, yeah, we got a dessert. Thank you, Game Slayer. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for the super chat. Very awesome. (laughs) Appreciate that. But it's kind of like that. You'll notice if you hang out here that I use a lot of food examples. (laughs) But it's kind of like that. It's like, okay, well, now that I've looked at it, I see how my bill got that high. I'm not happy about it, but I understand it. That's kind of the look they have on their faces. Like, okay, resignation. We understand what's happening there. And uh, they come back and Draven explains this is what we're going to do because they're the only ones that speak English other than Tevin was trying to explain to the tribals that don't speak English what they were talking about and what English he knew. Draven comes back and they determine this. So Draven goes ahead and puts the amulet on over his head. And nothing seems to have happened except for Michael. And Michael steps up and puts his hand out and slowly pokes Draven a couple times. Draven's not moving, and no, everybody else is looking at them weird. He's not wielding his weapon, like trying to stab him with the spear, although Menandra's always in his hand or strapped to his back. In this situation, it's in his hand. And he stops, and he kind of looks a little bit pokes him somewhere else. And he tilts his head and looks at Menander and pokes again. And Artemis is like, why are you poking Draven? And he says, because we can't find him. Like, I see him in front of me. I know he's there. But Menandra cannot sense him at all. The aura that gave off the undead aura, the whatever, it's like, to Menandra, he's blind. Because Menandra, of course, doesn't have eyeballs. She can't see him. To Menandra, Draven just disappeared. Michael, using all his human senses, can see him, poke him, touch him, that stuff. But none of the magic, which is very powerful, Menandra, can find any trace of Draven. It's like, pop, he was gone the second he put that amulet on. So they are able to surmise. Basically what this does is it's, it, it hides the wearer. It basically cloaks them. Artemis does go ahead and try to detect magic. She gets nothing. Um, they, they had a couple basic magic items that weren't imperative, but they tried those as well. Nothing is able to sense where Draven is. So it keeps him effectively completely cloaked. Dandy thinks that's pretty cool. Artemis sees how that's handy. Michael not so happy. You remember, Michael's not real happy with Draven. Totally plans on probably killing him one day because he's an undead thing and that's what he does. Hey, Xbox! <clears throat> but, you know, he's not happy with that because he's the only one that could track Draven in a situation. If he was to snatch Artemis and run off for some reason, it's Menander tracking him how they found him the last time, they would no longer have that option. So he doesn't say anything, but Dandy look, Dandy tells that to, or sorry, Michael tells that to Dandy a little bit later when they're alone. Um, and that makes sense. And Dandy's like, oh, I didn't think of that because they hadn't. But they were successful. They got what they were looking for. The second of the three artifacts. It is believed this what this, this is. Um, it does not have a name. I never named it. The name was basically lost in time when they found it. And they may choose to name it themselves down the road. Because that can happen. I always like to stress that. Just because you find an artifact with a name doesn't mean it has a name tag on it. Um, if it's intelligent or famous, that you can track down what it is from a library or scroll and figure out what it was, then you can find the name. But you find a a random magical artifact. I'm not talking magic items. This is an actual artifact in a dungeon room. A lot of times you're not going to find the name of it. 
detect magic might give you an idea of what its abilities are, or even the command word, unless you do, like, a serious, powerful spell, like seeking out a demon and asking a question, or things of that nature. Um, a lot of times you get to name it again. You call it what you'd like. Uh, doesn't mean somebody else isn't going to call it something different if you come across them, but uh, that is something I, I've always thought. You don't always find a name tag with directions on every magic item and artifact that you find, especially artifacts. This one was trial and error, which worked fine. There's no command word. As long as you are wearing it, it's always on. Um, but you, like, if I took it off and put it on a horse, it would work on the horse. Anything wearing it with the chain around their neck. So it has to have a neck. I guess that's probably the specific. It can't be just held in the hand. It has to be worn around the neck. A dragon could not fit the chain over its head, so it can't do it. It has to be... That's some of the limitations. Actually, Darsh couldn't do it either. He's got them big old horns. There's no way he's going to be able to slide that over his horns. Um, so those are the limitations. If you can get it on, it works uh, for this artifact. But it effectively completely cloaks them uh, from any type of scrying of any kind. Very powerful, but very single-visioned. Does one thing really, really well. No other special abilities outside of that. Um, doesn't even give defense bonuses for those people who like the mechanics of D and D. It's no defense bonuses. It's just an artifact that or, or that just does that. So at this point, they are like, okay, it's time to return home, back to the, the thing, because now they have two. They need to find out where the third one is, um, because that is important. Uh, wait, there we go. Hello, Thanos. Don't snap. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist. Um, <laughs> So they start their trip back, and they're in decent spirits. Our group is in pretty good spirits, right? Um, because they just got their second artifact. You know, for Draven, he's like, I'm one step closer to defeating this evil. And for Dandy, Michael, and Artemis, like, we are one step closer being done this crap so we can go back home. Because again, home is the kingdom of Serenity. Artemis' temple is there. Their friends are there. They have no idea... Who, what happened with the war? They were about to go to war when they had to leave and take off. Is Serenity even there? Was it destroyed? Were they successful? They have no idea if their friends are even alive. No one here has any knowledge of that. It's hundreds of miles to the west. And they're in lands they've never been to before. They've gone further to the east than they've ever gone. So they have no idea. They, they want to get back and make sure their friends are okay. Um, yes. So in a moment of clarity, and I want to stress this. I was very lucky as a DM in this situation because when Michael and Dandy left Serenity to try to catch up to Draven and Artemis, I specifically said, the longer you take, the better chance or harder chance you're going to have of catching up to them. They said, we understand that. I said, I need you to tell me exactly what you bring with you. They did not bring the flying carpet because that was already in Artemis's chest of holding that she had. But they did grab magic items and so on and so forth. But they didn't grab some of the big stuff they didn't need. No one, neither uh, Michael, because of course playing Michael, I didn't say anything. But Dandy did not think to bring her crystal ball that would allow her to talk to her friends at a distance. Artemis was specifically told not to take hers by Draven, but Dandy did not mention it. So she was kicking herself down the road because she's like, ah, I could be talking back to Darsha Mercy and finding out what's going on back there. But she legit forgot, and Artemis wasn't there, so she, the young lady that plays Artemis, couldn't give any hints. Um, but she remembered it, and she was hoping Dandy would remember, and Dandy didn't. So they left without the crystal orb, because uh, they have these 
uh, orbs they can tap on and talk to each other, kind of like through crystal orbs. Uh, and they usually set up times to do that. It's away from because they half of these guys live very, very different uh, distances apart from the other half. They get together for adventures. The party continues on. Uh, again, worried about their friends, but a little bit jovial. Um, most of the tribals seem a little occupied. Their mind is occupied like the thing. Other than Tevin, who is even more underfoot than he was before. Uh, definitely uh, learning as much English, common, I should say English, common as he can. Um, but specifically around, you know, almost to the point of doting on Artemis. They're only a few hours out. They've traveled several days. They're a few hours out of the village. It is evening, of course, and they should make it to there well before the night is over, which everyone's happy for. When suddenly, about that time... Now, if you're new here, when I say about that time, that usually means something bad's going to happen. <laughs> about that time, everybody hears a sound. And it is a sound of large flapping. Flapping. They happen to be going through the woods, because it's mostly wooded area here. So they do their best to hide through the trees, but it's not super dense woods. We're able to see the night sky and through the leaves and such. And they're basically hiding in the, tr uh, in the base of the trees and, you know, little hollows and such. It's not super flat. It's like a regular woods. And um, everybody had to make hide checks. <laughs> Except for Draven, of course, because that's the thing. Um, and at that moment, the thing, whatever large fly thing, flies overhead. It's very large. And immediately, the first thought they had is dragon. Because it's big. Not quite... As big as you'd expect a, draven, a dragon to be, but maybe a young dragon, something else. Still very large. And the wings sound flap and go over, but doesn't completely go away. They start to hear it circling overhead a little bit. And they stay hidden. And they're trying to figure out, do we need to fight this thing or what? But after about you know three or four minutes, whatever it is seems to fly off towards the east and just eventually fades out of sound. Excuse me. Very concerning. Very concerning indeed. And now they're concerned because the way, the direction that thing came from is the same direction they're headed. So it's coming from the direction of where the village is. So at this point, they start going faster. Now they're in a hurry. So they're booking as quickly as they can. Um, everybody in this group, pretty fast. All the tribals, great shape. Abs and the muscles. Even Tevin's in phenomenal shape. They're a very active group of people. Draven's faster than anybody they've ever come across. But Michael and Dandy are also used to running to and from undead. They can go long sprints. Their stamina's pretty high. Artemis is the only one that, again, she's an elf and she's in the woods. In some situations, she's as dexterous you know, as everybody else. Um, but she doesn't do a lot of running. She spends most of her time in the temple. So while she's still in really good shape, her constitution and her stamina is not quite as high as everyone else's. So she's the one that really ends up setting the pace. Um, and you can tell Draven wants to go faster, but he, there's no way to hurry her. They thought about throwing her in the chest of holding, but if something is bad ahead, they don't want their only healer to be inside of a chest of holding. 
And again, remember, there are no healers as part of tribal. There are no clerics, per se. There's only the, only the uh, uh, prophet. So they're hurrying, and they're getting very much closer, and they're not far out when Draven screams out almost angrily and just books. And he's just, he's gone through the trees. That is not good. Everybody picks up their pace and they start running as fast as they can. Because they've been pacing himself, trying to kill him, but now they're doing hard burst. And as fast as he was going, clearly he wasn't trying to be sneaky to get into the village. So they're not trying to sneak in. Uh, but they come busting, you know, they come up to the village as well. And they arrive and they come under the trees and they reach the village uh, and the dead are everywhere. There are many, many bodies, and many of the buildings are on fire. At this point, smoldering. They've been burning for a while. Um, the place has been ransacked, and there are many bodies. Draven, as well as the tribals, immediately start running around searching for survivors. Uh, Draven beelining to the Prophet's home, which is one of the few homes that isn't very damaged. Um... Our characters, Michael, Dandy, and Artemis, again, same situation, start helping them. Artemis, because she's the only one there that can really heal someone if someone is very injured. And while they look around the village, they don't find anyone alive. And they, they count probably close to 30 to 40 dead. And uh, Draven comes out of the prophet's house, shaking his head unhappily and helps with them, and they're checking all the bodies, and no one that they found is injured. Everybody's just straight up dead. What they do find, Dandy finds, searching out, is there are tracks going north that would show a group of people headed north. And looking at the amount of bodies, uh, about one-third of the tribe is dead here. And from what they can see, it looks like the remainder of the tribe headed north. And, um, let me see here. The tribe that lives directly to the north of them, which is a day or so travel, is, is the tribe of the Earth, known as the Neogi. Um, it's surmised that that's where survivors were going. Um, looking at the tracks and tracking, which is the skills that both Michael and Dandy and almost all the tribals have, is that tracking that they're good at that looking at it, they can see that these people the, the feet were, f were were fleeing it wasn't that was a comfortable we're going to leave at in the aftermath it was like people were running out of here while this was going on which also makes sense because with their beliefs they wouldn't just leave the bodies laying out in the ground either so they if they were fleeing they had to do so believing uh it they had no choice and also within the tracks of the area uh, they don't really find any people tracks, if you will. But again, there wouldn't be. I mean, the tribals walk around here all the time, so there's just going to be tons of regular footprints. But there are several animal footprints that are large that they aren't able to identify. Um, and some of the large amount of these people are very, very mauled, would be the word. Again, I'm not trying to be too gross for people, but uh, definitely some folks have had... Uh, been torn apart, really, um, by something that wasn't weapons and such. We'd have to restart and say I'll be back in the stream after. <laughs> All right, Thanos. So again, they're doing a lot of searching and looking around, trying to find a survivor, and they don't find a single one. The only 
thing that they can say is they did find the only, only official they did find the body of the uh, headman which was Jamin uh, the brother of the group you know, that they're hanging out with Jamal um, so they do not find the body of Shastra or the lady the older lady that takes care of Shastra uh, they, they don't find anything at all no tracks of her. The home that she's in is very ransacked. It's all torn up inside. But there's no blood or anything like that uh, that they're able to find. Um, which gives Draven a little bit of hope, but still, he's not happy. Uh, there are, as I mentioned, the animal footprints, and there are some that look like large lizard footprints. I, I forgot to mention that. Uh, so it does appear that that may have been a small dragon or dragon-like creature that was there. Um, and they're all very, very upset about this. I need to stress that at no point do any of the tribals blame the characters. At least not openly. It's not a, you did this, because of you. It's none of that happens. Um, they're upset, they're torn. Grown adults, probably crying some. Why not? People they love, people they know are dead. There is some hope for them that many of them did escape. Um... But again, it's kind of that acceptance of something bad has happened. We're not happy about it, but we understand that it had to. And that is something that happens a lot in the tribal uh, uh, lifestyle because they spend so much time living around the concept of prophecy. <clears throat> and they may go months, even a year, without their prophet having a vision, but there's that safety net. You know what I mean? There's that, something real bad's going to happen, we probably can get a prophecy. Something real good's going to happen, we probably can get a prophecy. And, but when that happens, we just have to do it, what it says. That we're, they're almost, if you will, enslaved to their own foresight. Um, which gives them the ability to accept things a lot of people wouldn't, uh, but it also takes away a lot of their freedom, which I'm not, uh, you know, a normally, normal group would not enjoy. Like a, a group of people. But they've been doing it for generations. That's just how it is. So, it's discussed what needs to be done next. Um, Draven basically you know, takes them apart and says to Michael and Dandy, you brought your stuff, didn't you? Michael nods. Dandy's like, yeah... He's like, these bodies are going to need to be burned, but we're going to need to stake them first. Now, this bothers the tribals. Like, what do you mean, stake them? And Draven, as best as he can, explains that if the thing that killed these people is the thing that he believes did it, the thing that he's been trying to destroy for a very long time, um was, in fact, it is possible that these bodies are, and he uses the word, infected and could rise to do harm to the remaining living members. While they appear bodies at this point, we have to take steps to make sure that doesn't happen. The last thing we want is their spirits to be locked inside um, a body they cannot control that is doing evil. He's trying to word it in a way that they can accept, because they've never had to stake a body before. 
Um, but it definitely, that breaks them more than anything else. Hey, crazy. What's up? That breaks their spirit more than anything else. Um, because they have to go around, stake and behead and then burn the bodies of everyone. Um, is not something that they would have ever had to deal with previously. Uh, crazy. This is a Dungeons and Dragons story podcast I do every Sunday. Um, where I'm telling a story of a D&D campaign that I've been running for about 30 years. So... Um, it's like an audio, you can view it here and on my website. It's also an audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify. I should throw that out there in case anyone else listening would like to listen to it, uh, audibly in the future to catch up. Um, it is available on both of those for free as an audio podcast. So at this point they have to gather the bodies. They do their best to give them a pyre type of situation. Um, they do it so that it won't damage the rest. Their goal is they want to come back to the village, of course, eventually. This has been their land for generations. Um, but they have to do this to the bodies. Um, they do ask that Artemis give prayer over this thing to say something, because she's the only one here fit to do that. Normally they would go to their own, um, either the prophet, or they would go to, like, you know, they have a headman who would normally do that kind of stuff. He's unfortunately dead. Um, and Artemis is the closest they have to a wise woman or whatever. Um, and while they understand clerics and people of the gods, it's a concept that's relatively new to them. In their mind, they, they didn't really have a lot of talk of gods on their world. There was just, again, spirits through the guiding forces in the world that helped them. Um, but not specifically a god that would specifically intervene. That's relatively new to them. Um... But they understand the concept that Artemis speaks to some type of great spirit that gives her magic and spells and allows her to heal, which they think is phenomenal. That's what a god that will heal people is, of course, the best kind of god you can have, right? Uh, they think that's pretty awesome, so they ask Artemis as a wise woman priest to say something, which she does. Um, and it, of course, is Draven interprets it for the folks that can't see it. Um, Tevin takes this hard. Uh, Tevin is... Uh, is just straight up crying through it all. But he doesn't stop. He helps. And at times, they try to be like, hey, why don't you go work on this? He, he, he's like, nope. This, this, he's going to do everything that the other ones do. He's, he's hands-on. And Draven does a lot of it. With his strength, it's much easier for him to pick up a person and carry them than to take up them. All right, Xbox, have yourself a good evening, and we will see you later. Thank you for coming by. Um, but Tevin, I mean, they've, they've all got blood all over them at this point, you know? Artemis is one of the... She has some on her as well, but she's the one that touches the least of them. Uh, Dandy and Michael are far, far too familiar with this type of scenario. More times than they can count have they walked into a village or, you know, a town that undead have slain and, and you know, they have to do a lot of this stuff. And sometimes it's just them. They're trying to, you know, bury a whole town or burn a whole town. Sometimes they've got other members of their crew with them, but um, a lot of times it's just the two of them and it's, it's a lot of work, and it's definitely heartbreaking work, regardless of your situation. So, it takes them the rest of the night to basically get that set up. Um, Draven recommends that they not spend the night here, the day here, in case 
whatever did this comes back, although he says he doesn't think that's going to happen. A little bit too confidently. But it would be best if they still didn't spend the day sleeping here. Which everyone agrees, because right now the last thing, the smell of death and burning and all that's not pleasant. So they, they travel a distance away to where there's a small stream that they know of, and they uh, they go and set up camp there. It's a common place that tribals use to hang out, have a picnic, whatever. I mean, it's just it's a nice place that's relatively clear. They can set up some tents. Um, and they go over there, and they did scavenge some food and things from the, the village. There was you know, still the village worth of supplies there, so they have food, and the lake gives them water, the, the little stream that they have there. So they're good in that regard, and they eat. Draven says that he's going to see if he can find any more tracks and such, and that he will return to them when the, when the sun goes down. Um, the only other thing that happens this evening before they finally all go to bed and rest, because they definitely set up a watch, more so than they have before, um, is the conversation that Artemis and Dandy has with Jalen. Because as the brother, technically, he has a claim to be headman of the of, of the rest of the tribe. And they're like, will you and the rest of the tribals now try to catch up with your people? Because that would be the smart thing to do. Survivors have gone north. They don't know if they're tracked down, chased down, or what. Um, but there's definitely signs showing that a good chunk of the tribe managed to get away. And Jalen says no, that they're going to be continuing to travel with Artemis and Draven, to which Artemis and Dandy honestly try to talk them out of it. They're like, because, again, One Hit Tevin is the nickname for that kid, because literally anything that would be the tiniest of challenge to Michael and Dandy and Artemis and Draven as a monster, one hit will destroy that kid. He is a, he's like a level zero. <laughs> I mean, he's nothing. He has no abilities, basically no... He can shoot a bow poorly. Um, his nickname, you know, off-camera, is One Hit Tevin, and they protect that kid in every situation. Because during the, the story we've had, there's always been one or two small encounters, right? I skip over a lot of those when I'm telling the story. They're traveling through the woods, and they find a bear, you know, or some goblins pop out, whatever. They're, they're, there's the regular D&D... Oh, something happened while I was traveling through the woods. And in those situations, in almost every time, their first goal is to get Tevin hiding behind them. He he's always sticking close to Artemis so she can keep an eye on him, as everyone always protects Artemis. And it was funny because it's the first time Artemis has been in the position that the other characters are in every time they go somewhere protecting Artemis. And she's like, okay, well, I mean her character, the young lady playing it, she plays other characters as well, so she knew it, but Artemis is like, my god, this is hard. It's like, this kid just keeps getting in the middle of stuff, and, and Dandy and Mike are like, yeah, yeah, we know. Doesn't it suck when they don't do what they're told and they get involved in combat? <laughs> She's like, you shut up! <laughs> it became a, a little bit of jive back and forth after a couple, but I do skip over some of those random encounters. Uh, some of them I don't even have written down, I just have a random encounter. <laughs> I guess it happened, because it's not it doesn't move the story. It was something that you know kept the D&D flow going. I don't want too much story. I don't want too much combat. I do my very best to keep it uh, level. And the groups that I've historically played with usually prefer more story than combat. You still got to have a, a decent mix of both. So I can go heavy on the story with these guys. Um, but I got to have that mix in there. So again, a moment of clarity on the, the process of writing the story. Um, so they determine, okay, they're going to, they're going to keep going with them, and it's basically, but it's like, it's like we're going with you because we were told to, 
and they're like, well, Shastra said you were supposed to go with us to get the, the, the thing at the wind, but she didn't say anything about the rest of them. She's like, not to you guys. But what we were told was different. <clears throat> so we follow Draven until Draven's done or dead. One of those two things happens, then we, then we can go back to our people. But until that happens, he's either successful or he is dead. We are to stay by his side. <clears throat> and we pay the price that needs to do that. Hence the village. They knew something bad was going to happen. They didn't think this. They knew that the village was going to have to pay for something in exchange for the help that they've received. Now, were these two things connected or not? They believe that it was. But at this point, there's not a way to know. So... We step into the next evening. The sun goes down. Uh, as soon as it's relatively, you know, the sun's mostly gone, Draven arrives. And he says that he was, in fact, able to catch up and speak with other members of their tribe. Many of them fled. Um, and they were not pursued once they left the village. Uh, but that they are heading, of course, north to the Nyogi and letting them know. Because remember... Shastra had given a prophecy that dark times were coming to all the tribes. And so runners were already sent to warn the other tribes bad stuff could be coming. So these refugees, if you will, uh, show up. It's not going to be as un un unexpected. Um, Jalen and them are overwhelmingly relieved to hear that their people are still alive. At least most of them. Two-thirds at least. Although Shastra and the elder lady that raised slash took care of Shastra, which turns out was her grandmother. Her mother died in the, in the birthing of Shastra. Her grandmother, no signs of them. There or in the village. No one knows. What they, they assumed that she was taken. But they do explain that a great dragon-looking thing, a dragon but without a dragon. It didn't have front legs. It had back legs. Its front legs were the wings. So if you know anything about D&D, &D, it's a big flying lizard thing, but it's not as powerful or strong as a dragon. Still a big old beastie, though. Um, flew in, and then large hairy beasts burst out of the trees and started attacking. Uh, there were at least four of them. And then a man dressed in black, not Draven, a different man, who rode the flying thing, got down and began, drew his weapon and began attacking. Uh, several, you know, the, the headman basically said to defend them, while the women and children are being pulled out. And again, that's one thing I stress. Most of the survivors are uh, women and children because they were getting them out of there. Although, when the warriors stay and fight, there's men and women there as well. This is very... Men and women doesn't matter. You can, you, just because you're a woman doesn't mean you can't fight. Some of the better archers in my own personal life I've found are women. Uh, but it was a mix, but a lot of the, the folks who aren't warriors are the ones that actually survived. The warriors stayed to basically hold the line and try to buy time for the people to get through. And... So they don't know what happened after they all ran out. They only knew that at a point, people stopped coming with them. You know, they, they pushed themselves hard because they didn't know if they were being chased. And when they did finally stop, after a while, nobody else stragglers came in. So Jalen and the people are happy to hear about that. Very sad to hear about the losses still, of course. But knowing that some of their people are, are very close to getting to another one of their tribes and bolster their numbers, then Yogi is the second strongest tribe of all the tribes. Um... So with a little bit of foreknowledge that this thing could be coming, they might be able to do better in defending it against it. Um, so there's that. Um, it's at this point that as they're prepping to decide what they are going to do, 
Um, Michael says, I think that we've been in the dark long enough. People that, he pointed to Draven, people that you and they loved and knew, people that, you're in, people that we've recently become friends with are dead now. All because of whatever this is you've got us mixed up in. And we still don't know what we're doing. Now, we've agreed to help you, but I think it's time we have a little bit more knowledge of what we're walking into, because whatever it was just slaughtered a third of that village, and we don't know if it's going to go back and kill the rest of them. And that was a hard night that I don't want to do again, Michael says. I don't want to repeat. So, even Artemis is standing there firmly with the look of, yeah, we need to know some shit. You know, because at this point, she's the most defensive of him, because, you know, I've got to... I've got a deal. i got to go with them. But at this point, she's like, yeah, I just had to help bury a ton of people. I want to know what the hell's going on, too. What have you got us mixed in with? And Draven's like, okay. I think it... I, I, he goes, I, I, I agree with you. I think at this point, you need to have a better idea of what we're walking into because it's clear that he's searching for me as much as I'm searching for him. And so Draven tells his story. So we're going to touch on that now. Um, this doesn't take super long, but we're going to basically go over a little bit of what Draven's story is and what brings Draven to be what he is. And he starts off by saying, the world of my father's people is very different from any of the worlds you've come to know. The world we live on now, the worlds you're from. Um, I've never found a land that matches it. Um, but my father's people, much like the elven race, are a very long-lived group. In fact, maybe as long, if not longer, than the elves. And their world, while small, after generations of wars, had entered into a time of peace. With one king and a kingdom ruling all. My father's people are much as you see me. Um, on your world, they would have strength and abilities far beyond human capabilities. Speed, things of that nature. In fact, their lifestyles would very much be akin to what you call a vampire. I have to stress that's not what they are. On their world, there's no need for that. The foods, the water, everything that's eaten and drank in the world has the same nutrients. I'm using the word nutrients. We'll say has the same essence. He wouldn't use a word like nutrients. Let me phrase. Has the same essence, has the same makeup of what I found here to be the blood of most humanoids. That's found in any animal, of course, because that's an animal, but even the fruits, drink the water. The things on that world provided everything needed. There was no cannibalism of that nature, what you would find from what you call vampires. Now, there are, there are records that generations and eons ago on that world, there was another race that existed that were much more akin to human. Shorter lifespan, not as strong as the other, as the, my father's people. But jealous of the strength and abilities that my father's people had. And 
using dark magics and dealing with demon demons far beyond their ability to control, they were given a way to try to steal that power. When this information came known to my father's people, again, this is long before his father lived, but his ancestors, when my ancestors became known that this was happening, that their people were being tortured and killed to steal their strength, they rose up against the other race and destroyed them. Because they were literally bleeding people dry. It was, it was not pretty. They were doing really horrible things. Um, of any age. Point that out. Men, women, children, didn't matter. Some of the more powerful who had already stolen some of the abilities of my ancestors managed to magically open a portal and leave the world and fled, leaving the rest of their kind to be basically wiped out so that this could never happen again. It is my belief that this is how the vampirism you're familiar with made it to some of these other worlds. Because again, I'm only surmising off what I've read in my own personal experiences. I don't have any concrete proof, but I believe that would be very likely, and he points to Michael, while, why you are able to sense a commonality between me and them. Uh, because we share makeup of our blood. He goes, I have to strain that I was born this way, I will live this way, and I will eventually die of old age of this way. Very long time, but it'll happen. My people are not made in the way vampirism is spread on this planet, in the planets that you're familiar with. And Dandy says, you keep saying your father's people. Was your mom different? And Draven nods, yes. He goes, my father was the king that I spoke of. He and his followers had quelled the different uprisings and the different battles between the different clans and had brought a time of peace with my father as its king. He'd been a king for hundreds of years at that point. And the world was relatively peaceful. Uh, other than a few issues here and there, uh, people got along pretty well. People had plenty of things. Life was good. One evening, as my father was riding the on his lands near a, a lake um, that he liked to ride alone because he was safe. No one's going to attack the king. And he's pretty powerful himself. Pretty, pretty strong guy. Um, as he was riding along the edge of this lake, just looking over his land, having a nice ride, he decided to go out himself that evening. He heard a noise up ahead of him and he stopped. I'm pointing out the horse he's on because he's on a horse-like creature but that has six legs. Faster than a horse. Never gave it a name, though. I stress that. It's a six-legged horse. Um, came to a stop, and up ahead, up and around a bit of the, the edge of the lake, there's like a rip in existence, like a rip in the air, and it widens out to be a shining, glowing light. He stopped, and he's looking at it. That's an odd thing. He's never seen anything like that. But just a moment later, someone comes walking, or if you will, stumbling through landing on their hands and knees. He could tell from where he stand that whatever it was was humanoid, again, a good distance away. And when it stood up, it had long white hair, because Draven's father has long black hair, and that it was trying to run from this portal, but it appeared there were some type of 
chains around its wrists that went several feet and stopped, but the chains were dragging along the ground like they're ungodly heavy. And this thing was struggling to try to pull them. Intrigued by what he was seeing, Draven's father starts slowly going forward. But then a moment later, and a hand comes through that, and it rips open, and a creature that he can only describe as a demon of some kind, standing 13 feet tall, steps out. Horns, the wings, the hooves, the whole thing. Steps outside, and it's carrying a huge sword. And it's like fire is just floating off of it, laughing at the young thing trying to get away from it. And at this point, the thing which you can tell is a female something uh, was struggling to get these chains away. The demon thing, thing, she doesn't know it's a demon, demon thing, is speaking to it in a language he does not understand. But he can pretty much see what's going on, right? None of this is a shot, uh, uh, you know, what's happening here. Clearly, this thing's trying to get away from this thing. This thing doesn't look horrible. That thing looks horrible. So, without a second thought, he spurs his horse creature and they go running in. Um, and they're managed to get there, because it's fast, and they weren't super far away. They get there before the demon thing makes it up to the, the, the white-haired creature. And he hops off his creature, off his horse thing, um, and basically draws his own swords and begins attacking. Now, the demon thing is very shocked, wasn't expecting this. But not a slump either. A great battle between the two creatures go, and the thing was incredibly strong. It has some magic to it, but... Draven's father was so fast, he didn't have any problem, you know, I should say, he was able to dodge most of the blows, but by the end of the battle, before the demon finally fell, because it did, he had been injured and stabbed and slashed, and his clothes were all ripped up, and he'd been bleeding, like, he took a beating, but he, he survived. When the demon falls, finally lands on the ground, it dissipates, kind of like turning into ash, going up in the air. So if you know anything about demons, you can't kill a demon on a prime material plane. You kill a demon, it just goes home. Very often it's banished and can't come back to that prime material plane, plane unless specific things happen. But you can't really kill a demon unless you're in its homeland or home plane. The thing dissipates, and so does the chains wrapped around the hands and feet of the young lady that is close to him. She's definitely smaller than him. He's a six foot one, about five foot two. Very beautiful. Very, he has very pale skin. His skin's paler than hers, trait of the, the, the race that he is. But she has long white hair and she's just wrapped in rags kind of stuff. And she seems, she saw what he did, like he appreciates that he helped her, but he seems very skittish. And when he goes to speak to her, she doesn't understand what he's saying. Clearly, they were speaking a different language. But he, he's just standing there trying to think of a way to, you know, he takes off his cape and he's like, can I wrap this around you? You look like you're cold and half naked. You think, you know. um, she kind of steps forward and reaches up and puts her finger on his head. And he doesn't move because he's like, okay, I'm not trying to scare her. But at the same time, if, she, if I see any magic stuff, I'm going to take that hand off. He's not a fool. He's a king for a reason. And he doesn't really feel any different, but she smiles. And then she starts speaking in his language. Basically, he just, she just learned his language. A gift that she had. Not knowing what else to do, 
she wa- or she walks over to the to the portal thing that's still there, by the way. And she casts some type of spell, and the portal closes. And then they're just standing on the edge of a lake. Father takes the his father takes her home. Because what else are you gonna do? Take back to the castle. Because he doesn't know if more of these things are gonna pop in. He needs to get his guards on alert. He just was in a big battle, you know. For all he knows, twelve of these things could pop out in the next five minutes. He needs to have his army on alert. So, throws her on the back of his six-legged horse creature, and they book it back to the castle. Draven says that my mother was from a different planet, from a not not even really a planet as much as you say a different plane. To many, her race would be called a demon, but that's just because of where she was born and raised. I can tell you that there was not an ounce of malice or hatred in her heart. There's a being of goodness. But her race is small. Not physically, but in numbers. They they don't have many of them. Uh, mostly because they're spread out. But they're very often sought out by other more powerful races. Because each person born is born with some type of gifts. Or abilities. And they're not always the same. For intents and purposes, think of it like Marvel Comics mutants, right? I'm born with an ability, you're my brother, you're born with a completely different non-attached ability, but we both have an ability. Sometimes the abilities don't show until you get older, sometimes you have them automatically. Um, he says, my mother had several abilities, which is common for them to have a couple common abilities. Uh, one, she had the ability to open and close interdimensional portals, which was highly sought after, as well as, much like Shastra, um, a bit of sight. She could, she wasn't as much as Shastra, but she could, she on occasion did have prophetic things would happen. So a prophet who can open up portals between worlds is definitely sought after by a lot of more powerful creatures. And she had been enslaved by this most recent one for a couple of hundred years at this point. Also a long-lived race. Perhaps even longer than elves and Draven's father. He doesn't even know that part. Um, so she had managed to, after hundreds of years, find an avenue of escape, thought she was out, but was being chased by a big old bad dude, Draven's father, Savior. Now, he doesn't at any point say the name of his parents, and I'm not going to say him yet, because it's, it's important that I don't, and he doesn't for a reason. So if you're wondering why I haven't mentioned it, he, doesn't, he keeps saying fathers, people, mother, because he didn't tell him at this point. The names are later. But he does tell a bit more of a story. My mother, taken back home. My father's wife uh, had passed away years before uh, due to an illness in the winter or something something natural, um, but had borne my father three children, two brothers and a sister. And that, that was the order they were born, two brothers and a sister. And... Upon hearing the story, of course, they all have ranks in the kingdom. They start doing the military stuff, getting guards, searching out for these type of things um, while that's going on. And after a period of time of watching and waiting, nothing else seems to show up. Uh, there are no other notices or signs of any other demon-type creatures popping in. They hear This is when they're told a bit of her story. It uh, doesn't, doesn't completely say all of the abilities she has, but she says that, you know, I was enslaved and such because of the portal thing. And father saw the portal, so he's like, I, I can open and close portals. And he's like, wow, it's, we've never seen anyone who could do that. Well, we know that other worlds may exist because 
eons ago those other people disappeared to them. It's not something we really do. Hello, Galaxy. So, not knowing what else to do, she stays there for a while. They got clothes. She's nursed back to health. She's very malnutritioned, all that kind of stuff. Hello, Motley. Um, bring her back to health and such, which doesn't take super long. But, of course, as you can expect, this whole time, the father doting on her, they end up falling for each other, so on and so forth. <laughs> chickens! I love chickens. Uh, so, you know, they're, they... Uh, they fall in love, yada, yada. And she stays there for a big chunk of time. Although Draymond doesn't say much, it's implied a very long time. Um, the people are a little, eh, what is that that you're you know, kind of hanging out with in there? But the children have no problem with it. Because she, this thing, father, you know, their father's happiest he's been in, in centuries at this point, since their mother passed away. And so they're fine with that. Uh, but they end up becoming a thing, and things move on. Until one night, when she's sitting with the, the father, and they're just kind of hanging out on a, uh, on a on a bench on an overlook. Oh, hang on a second. Jeremiah, I just want to say hi, but I have to go to bed. Okay, well, I hope you have a good rest. Have a big day tomorrow. Oh, hope it's a good one. A.K.A. one of the best YouTubers. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, Stoneblock is on the list uh, of potential what we're going to do when we finish Sky Factory. A lot of people have been throwing that at me, so it's possible we'll look at Stoneblock in the near future. Um, but while they were sitting there, just kind of, you know, hanging out, chatting one evening, Draven's mother got very, very woozy and felt herself fall. And Draven's father picked her up and helped her to the bench and sit her down kind of thing. And when she kind of came out of it, she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know what happened. And he looks very, very weirded out. She's like, what's wrong? He's like, you don't remember what you just said. And she says, uh, no, I don't know what I just said. And at that point, she knows she's, she's given some type of scene. She, she feels it, but she was afraid of it. Uh, is them name only Draven for your channel? Reference to Draven here? No, actually, no. Dra the name in the channel is based on Draven, Eric Draven, the character from The Crow, which is the skin that I wear in Minecraft. Um, I created this character, Draven, for something else and then ended up using it in this adventure instead. It's, it was my favorite name and I want to put it on a character that I like. Um, so, the prophecy had several lines that Draven does not repeat here. But the last lines of the, of the prophecy were, um, For the last of your line shall be a great king, and he will be the child of destiny, and only the blood of his kin can destroy him. That's the final three lines. I've got it memorized. I've said it so many times. <laughs> so, uh, the very weirded out by that. He didn't, the father is like, I don't understand what that means. The last of my line. I mean, eventually that could happen, if, you know, whatever. But I mean, if this could be a prophet, she says I'm a prophet. He, he's known about that at this point. He's like, that could be generations down the road. There's no timeline on that. And she's like, oh, yeah, totally. I understand. I agree 100%. But it's at that moment that she knows she has to leave because she knows she's pregnant. And. 
she wouldn't have had that prophecy if it wasn't going to be somewhat... Like, her prophecies aren't for generations down the road. It's something that's going to be affected in her or someone that is, she's involved with. And her fear is that her child could be a problem. Not it could, We don't know what's going on. Um, she keeps it to herself over the next few days, but then eventually comes to him and says, Listen, I have to leave. I, uh, and she doesn't tell him the, the truth, doesn't say she's pregnant, doesn't say any of that. She just only says that um, it has been made known to me that uh, people of my family are in great danger. On my, She lies through her teeth. That, and I have to go to help them. He's like, well, let me get my sword. We'll go take care of this. And she's like, no, you can't go. He's like, well, I can't let you go alone. He's in love with her. And she's like, where I go, you would die just stepping in. Just, just, just being there, death would take you. Um, I'll do my best to return as soon as I can. Hopefully it shouldn't be long. He's not very happy about this, especially since he knows you know, she's been enslaved before, but she assures him where she's going is safe and that she's going there to help members of her family, but she'll return as soon as she can. Which, again, not truthful, but he buys it. He bids, she bids farewell to him as well as the children and staff, the people that she's come to know. She's been there at this point quite a while. She opens another one of those portals and goes through. Eight months later, Draven is born. And Draven is raised by his mother. Not all they go from world to world, time to time. And he has her hair, the long white hair and such, but has the paled skin and such of his father, and more of his father's build and height, because again, her race is relatively small. His father was pretty built, and Draven very quickly is growing up and, and can tell he's going to be way taller than his mom. Um, and he's stronger by far than his mom. He's got a lot, he's got his father's strength and all that stuff. And Draven skips over the middle of his life. He doesn't tell that. That's a tale for another time. But after many, many years of traveling with his mother, being trained by some of the, you know, by different creatures and people across different worlds, she comes to him one day and tells him the story of her birth. He knew a little bit of it, but didn't know all of it. But this is the first time that she mentions the prophecy. And she's like, I'm sorry that I never took you back to meet your father. Um, but something has changed and we need to go back there now. And he's like, okay, well, what's changed? And she said, your father's dead. I don't know how, I don't know why. I only know that he is. Draven's distraught. He's like, oh man, the man I didn't, I never knew. Yeah, let's go. Mother opens the portal. They go through. Thank you very much, Adrian Miller, for the sub. Appreciate you hanging out. So, returning to this world immediately, getting there, Draven literally feels a bit stronger. Because again, now he's on that world. You could kind of compare it to a Superman Sun thing. In this world atmosphere, such he's even more stronger than, than he was there. Um, and he, you, they walk into a world at war. Um, at this point, there's a civil war going on. It's basically broken into two factions. There's a, basically a rebellious faction, and then the larger faction, which is belonging to the king, Draven's brother. Because the king had been murdered as had one of his brothers and sisters, and has only one brother remaining. And his name is Daedalus. 
I have a picture for Daedalus, but you're going to have to wait till next week for that, for reasons. His el the eldest brother, Daedalus, had claimed the position of king. Many of the people in even the castle and the folks believed that Daedalus himself had killed the king and his siblings, although why? He was the elder, he was the heir anyways, but... Uh, the king tried to take over, the new king tried to take over and turned out to be a bit of a prick. Uh, there was a rebellion against that, and that's the war that's going on now. They don't walk into a battle, but they walk into the world. That's the state of the world when they get there. Now, it's not long before, you know, they're trying to stay out of it. They, they see this, you know, they see battles and such, and they're trying to stay out of it till they can figure out what's going on. And they go to a home of someone that uh, was used to work in the castle. Is someone that his mother is familiar with, uh, had befriended, so on, and went there. Her and her husband are delighted to meet Draven and Draven's mother, especially Draven, because they're part of the resistance, the rebellion, whatever it is. They, you know, they they get in touch with some of them, explain what all happened. Draven's like, "Are you are you like are we sure that he killed everybody else?" And they're like, "Yeah, we're pretty sure he killed everybody else." So he's like, well, that's not cool. I'm going to take care of that. And he's very angry that his father and siblings he never got a chance to meet were slain by this elder brother who's a prick. And the rebellion is very excited because everyone knew the king and Draven's mother had a thing. And Draven definitely has the look of his father facially, even though the hair's a different color and such. Because uh, nobody has white hair on that world. That's, that's just a thing. Uh, not naturally, anyways. You probably die. Um, but technically, that means Draven has the tiniest claim on the throne. So they think this guy, Daedalus, who's a brick, is not being a good king and took it in the wrong way. Now they have legitimacy to their rebellion. They're like, hey, you took this, you killed your family, and so on and so forth. You've got a brother you didn't know about, and he's coming to take the kingship because you don't deserve it. And Draven gets very quickly thrown into that role. And it's not one that he wanted, but he understands the importance of it. And so he ends up joining against. And he worked on that side for a very long time. The, the, the battles and wars and such went back and forth for, for many years. Um, until the day that Daedalus was able to get a spy into the rebellion who was able to poison Draven's mother. There was nothing that could cure her, and she eventually died in Draven's, Draven's arms. Well, Draven was furious. His mother was the only family he had, the only one he ever known for the several hundred years that he's been alive. He, uh, now he's just, we're going to kill him. And so they finally, they've been working for, towards this for a while. They end up doing a big siege on the castle, sneaking in, all that kind of stuff. And a great battle was going on, and he actually got to face his brother for the first time, other than across the battlefield, to actually meet in combat. And as they fought, Draven, again, had been trained by some of the best warriors across multiple planes. Uh, but Daedalus is also overwhelmingly skilled because of his father's training and such, and he's been alive much longer than Draven. Um, and they were fighting, and Draven was on the edge of losing. Uh, they're fighting on the castle, they're on the parapets, they're fighting each other, blah, 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 blah. And Draven had been wounded several times, very, very bad. Uh, he got a few hits in himself, but he was losing to Daedalus. 
when all of a sudden the world blew up. He felt like everything just, like he was gone, he wasn't him, and then he was him again. And that was the merge happening. Right smack in the middle of that. Convenient, some would say. And he found himself on this new world in incredible pain from the brightest sky he's ever seen. But the sun does not kill him because he's only half of that race. He is much weaker in the sunlight, still stronger than a regular person, but he's much more powerful when he's not in direct sunlight. Um, so it does weaken him such. Some, uh, not a whole lot, but it does make him, it, it's not comfortable for him. He literally feels some pain being in the sun, but it won't kill him. He knew, you know, when he came to, that the rest of the parapet where they're fighting was there, and he found bloody footprints at, you know, when, when the sun finally went down, which was awesome. Uh, and he finds bloody footprints that clearly were his brothers. His brother was through here as well. Uh, although eventually the footprints disappeared, he tried to track him, but he was so injured he was bleeding to death himself. So he knows that Daedalus is somewhere on this world as well. He was, he was trying to search to find it when all of a sudden that cursed bright sun pops in the sky again. He doesn't know what's going on. And he finds a cave and he, it's got trickles of water in it. You know, a little pond like coming down the side. He needs fresh water. He hides in the cave and he doesn't have the strength to leave. He hasn't eaten anything in a while. And even though he's drinking the water, it's not sating him like normal. Now, he knows what that means because he's been on worlds before where Draven has to eat, where regular food doesn't meet that need. But he doesn't know what's happened or where they are. He doesn't know what the merge was. All he knows is suddenly he's somewhere else, part of the castle's here, and his brother's taken off. He still wants to kill him. And brother wants to kill him. Because it became known through this whole thing that Draven's brother had discovered the prophecy in like his father's journal. And so Daedalus is like, oh, I'll just kill everybody. Because then the prophecy has to be about me. Because if I kill my siblings, I'm the last of the line. Hey! He didn't know about Draven. So, he was in this cave, weak, bleeding out, didn't have the strength to go looking for food or anything like that, and he pretty much assumed he was going to die, when a shadow fell over the entrance of this cave. He immediately assumed his brother had found him, he grabs his sword and tries to get up on his feet, though he's not really able to, he's really weak at this point. And three figures walked in, all from the Wantaloo tribe. Speaking to him in a language that he only slightly understands. Um, they make it known that a prophet had sent them to get him. And Draven spent most of his life living with his mom who's a prophet. He puts a lot of stake in that. He definitely understands people with prophet, that's important stuff. It's outside of their control. So if a prophet has sent these people to get me, and in his state where he's you know pretty loopy anyways because he's almost dead, he's like, okay, well, that's nice. We're, what are we doing? And they're like, we, you, you'll never make it there in the way that you, you, you are now. First, you have to eat. And the man in the middle was much older than the others, and he steps forward and offers himself. Draven doesn't want to do this, 
but the man literally cuts himself, so he starts to bleed, and then the smell hits it, and Draven can't help himself, and he basically feeds on that guy till he's dead, which is something Draven doesn't normally do. But Draven knows that process because he's lived on worlds where these things have had to happen in the past. Daedalus is going to have a bit of a harder time figuring that out. Until he gets around a person and smells them and realizes they smell delicious. He can hear their heartbeat and blood pumping and he just wants to chew on them. But he's never had to do that. He's always lived on a world where everything sated him. Draven has not. So Draven has had to deal with this in his past. And that's part of it. That's a, that in itself is a story that I've got. I've got a lot of many stories that I've told over the years of Draven's adventures and such that led up to this. Because uh, the group wanted to hear more about that. So I have a bunch of those that get, I can share at later times. But basically, one of these uh, guys sacrificed in life and the other two brought them back. Or brought him back to the tribe where he met Shastra and was given the knowledge that his brother, yes, was here. His brother was going to do horrible things. Only Draven can stop him. But Draven has to have help and starts to give the information piece by piece of what he needs. Artemis, so on and so forth. And he starts going out on these quests based on the prophecies of Shastra that are all pieces of a puzzle. And he doesn't know the grand picture of it all yet. He just knows he has to do some of these things. And each one gets him a step closer to finding his brother. Um, he's always assumed his brother knew he was here as well and that he might be being sought after but he's never actually seen a sign of his brother uh, like in live person there's been hints and clues and you know horrible left bodies and such but never has he actually seen his brother with his own eyes since the merge and uh, it looks like that's about to change so he is hunting his brother that's the, that's the whole thing that's going on here. Uh, let's see. So I have to do the pet. Hello, love your channel. Oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you for coming by. That is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, so that gives us a bit of the backstory of Draven and what these guys are trying to do. They're not just trying to kill someone who's evil. They're trying to kill someone who's been evil a long time on several worlds um, who... Trying to kill Draven as well, and the whole mother's dead. He hates him for the mother killing, and his siblings and father. The mother, the big one. Uh, hope you make the same content forever. Well, I'm going to try. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll get better and better too. But same kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, this is uh, this is what I like making, so I wouldn't expect to see too much different stuff. Uh, just more stuff along this line. But I definitely appreciate that sentiment. Thank you. Um, so yeah. So everybody's like, okay, they understand it a little bit more now. While this is going on, Michael and Menandra have also been having a side conversation about the validity of this. Um, you know, like, what if, you know, is, is it possible that this is what they're sensing and so on? And, you know, Menandra's going through her knowledge and such, and, and it, it, they, they say, okay, there's a tiny bit this is possible. They don't know the source of vampirism, um, but they do know that it didn't always exist. It came from somewhere. Um, so it's possible that, that this could be true. If that's true and Draven shares a race and he's born, ages, and dies, then not necessarily is he an undead that needs to be killed. He just shares qualities of an undead. And that that throws both Michael and Menander off their game a little bit. Because this is the first time they've ever had to question it. It's always been, we find undead, we kill undead. That's what we do. Menander's been doing it for a long time. Michael's been doing it for some years. Menander's done it through many people. Uh, Crazy Gamer, what if someone made this a game? I'd like to one day. 
Um, I thought about doing it as graphic novels. I thought about doing it as a video game. Um, I thought about doing it as a D&D, actual like handouts, like adventures where I could build the world for the people who could play in merged worlds as well. Had a lot of ideas down the road I would love to do, but uh, definitely outside of my monetary ability at this point. But if it gets popular enough and people like it and want more of this stuff, then maybe we can find someone who would help. And we can get that financially put together. But yeah, I think this would be a cool game. Uh, Role-playing game, video game, board... I've had I've got ideas for board games and card games of this. I have designs for all sorts of stuff I've been working on over the years um, that I think would be a lot of fun. Especially the card game. I think the card game would be pretty cool. But I play a lot of... I played a lot of card games in my day. Magic the Gathering, Spellfire, um, you know, all the way up to Hearthstone. Uh, I played World of Warcraft card game. Uh, I have a, I have a years of playing that, so I think it could be easy to do that. Jim says, I might be out of line, but what has Zoltan been doing this time? Uh, can we just remember something happened to Zoltan? Oh, good question. But the artifacts and gems don't seem to be as important during this. Uh, but does that come back? I'd be happy to address that. So no one has seen or heard a word from Zoltan till, since the central gate opened and Omniana came out. Remember, he is a direct... Zoltan's a direct servant of those two gods, the god of chaos and the god of... or goddess of order and the god of chaos. And um, no one's heard a peep from him at that point. All of the, the the stems, the gems are out there somewhere. Do they pop up in the future? Maybe. I'm not going to say anything about that yet. But as for the weapons, the weapons no longer exist. The weapons went into the central gate. They were like the keys. And once they did, they merged with it permanently to create the central gate. And that's what opened it and allowed Omniana to finally come through. Because they were inside all of the weapons, guiding it slightly through that's why the weapons would disappear and reappear in different places so the weapons all the magic artifact weapons that was the whole original story they no longer exist because they're part of the central gate and omniana said that once they characters left the central gate would be sealed because no one would ever need to go back in there again only omniana has the ability to go back into where the central gate is um, but that unlocked the world around them so people can go to different planes and worlds that they want to um, it also unlocks um more features of the realm gates, although no one's discovered those yet. Something else we'll talk about in the future. Uh, but the gems are out there. The gems at this point, if you'll remember, they were being distributed by the monks because that was their job, to keep them separate until they were needed. Um, I wouldn't expect to see them anytime soon. Put it that way. But thank you for the question, Jim. I appreciate that. But Zoltan, uh, who nobody really likes that much, <laughs> no one knows where he is, People just assume he's off working for Omniana, whatever that god. Now that the god actually exists as a god, um, has a direct servant running around doing their their work. But thank you. Um, so, uh, thank you. I was just trying to remember. I've watched the story up to eight, just trying to take it on. Oh, <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate you rewatching it again. Yeah, I need to go back and do that myself. Familiarize myself with everything I've told already. I'm just kidding. This stuff is so etched in my brain. I couldn't. I couldn't forget it if I tried. But, um, so Draven tells their story, and they're like, okay, um, Artemis feels horribly sorry for the guy, because she's always viewed him not as a villain, much like Michael has, and Dandy, she viewed him as a villain because that's what Michael said he was. You know, they're married, and Michael has some knowledge she doesn't, so she trusts him implicitly. Michael genuinely believed that, had no reason not to. Artemis has never seen him as a villain, just as a guy who needed stuff and who can be a bit of a prick at times. But now she you know, understands a bit more of where he's coming from, especially the whole um, 
mother dying and getting vengeance from that and so on and so forth. She feels a little bit more validated on the quest, if you will. Like, still, she's not a big fan of let's go kill things. You know, she's a cleric of healing. But if we're going out there to destroy something evil that keeps slaughtering stuff, um, especially the Wantaloo, our friends, I mean, they're, she's invested now. She's like, okay, we're doing a good thing by taking this out. Daedalus has killed a lot of people, uh, a lot of family for Draven, friends that we know. And on top of that, Daedalus is very strong here as well. And the concern is, and they, they straight up ask, you know, during this, the one question Michael has is, can you create a vampire? In the traditional way that a vampire ha can. Do you, being, he goes, and no disrespect, a half-breed, do you have the ability to do that? And Draven says, I don't know. My mother believed that I could, but I've never tried. I've sworn never to do that. I would never do something atrocious and lock someone's soul in an unliving body. So I would never do that. He goes, my brother, you know, if he was to find out, if he has realized he could do that, I have no doubt that he would. That cinches it for Michael. He's like, okay, that's a daddy vampire who could be making more vampires. I am totally fine on this quest now. I am cool with this. I have no, I'm not really worried about killing Draven again. At this point, he's a bit more accepting of Draven. Still not a big fan of the guy. He did kind of, when you use an old-fashioned word, hornswaggle Artemis into this whole thing and then kind of get them in the same way. He was If he had just come at the beginning and said, hey, here's the problem, I'm in, I'm fighting this evil vampire, I need your help, they probably would have joined him. But they also understand the way he did it is the way he was told to by Shastra. So it's just a whole mess that they're involved in. But they, they chat and they're getting ready to go. And like, okay, at this point we need to move forward. Um, give me one second here. Grab this. Mm. Okay, there we go. So, Michael's still not a fan of Draven. I want to stress that, but uh, doesn't want to kill him anymore. That's, that's the point that we're at. He accepts him. There's a bigger goal in mind at this point, the greater good. Um, Menandra's the same way. Menandra's like, Menandra still wants to kill him a little bit because he still has the essence of undead and the ability to potentially make undead. She's not happy with that. But she's going to trust Michael in this, especially with a very potential daddy vampire situation. That's exactly the kind of stuff that they do. They try to keep that from happening. So they're all about that. So they, at this point, decide to carry on. Draven lets them know that he was told by Shastra that the third artifact they need is even further to the east. And that we're looking for a magic kingdom. Not Disney World. <laughs> Clear that out of your brain real quick. But a magical kingdom. And there we'll see the light. He goes, that's what I was told. He goes, so... I, if, if we're all coming, because at this point he's like, you guys don't have to come either, and the trouble's like, yeah, we do. That's what we got to do. So they've all determined they're going to go. They're going to go. Um, they also, well, the one last thing I forgot to say that um, Draven makes an over is the existence of Vrucks. Vruck, V-R-U-C-K. These are very wolf-like creatures, but much bigger. Um, they are normal 
to Draven's father's world. Um, and a lot of times used for hunting and such, but they can be very vicious when they're wild. Most people don't train them because they're, they're very likely to turn on their, their owner, their master very, very much. Uh, so they stay away from that. But Daedalus was known to keep some um, and, you know, feed people to them. Daedalus is a prick. I think I stressed that. Um, and it's very possible that some of the rucks may have come through. And if they did, then that could be what was the, the animal prints they found, because he believes that that's what that was. So it's something they need to be aware of. Um, okay, there we go. Let's see here. Um, so they, again, start continuing east. Um, now that they know Draven can go out in the sun, he's just not as strong that way. Um, they still try to stay moving at night, just in case. Because if they do come across Daedalus, he wants to be at the top of his game as well. Of course, at that same time, it could mean that Daedalus is also at the top of his. This is something they've talk, they talk about as they're traveling. Best ways to deal with Daedalus when they finally find him. Um, but they carry on. And it takes them a good while to get to the next location. We're not going to get to that tonight. We're not done yet. What we're going to talk is a few different things that happen during the, 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 the trip, the expedition. They takes them a good, I think it was like a week and a half to two weeks to get to the place they're looking for. But through that time, several events happen. Um, one of the events is that they end up do getting attacked by some type of creature. They don't appear to be Vruk specifically, but they are some type of um, bear-like mutated creature that none of them had ever seen. It was something I created. It's not in the dungeon. Uh, master's Guide or the Monster Manual. It's something that I made, but it's like almost a half bear, half wolf. And it was, they were very, very fast and very, very large. Um, were they sent to find the characters? Nobody knows. But they definitely do pop up at, at this situation and they're basically fleeing the forest to get away from them. And uh, they're, they're, at this point, they're traveling along an old road that they had come across. It was going in that direction. It made travel a little bit easier. And they came across um, like a huge gorge. Uh, to put it in perspective, uh, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom at the end. Huge gorge with a rope ladder. Except it's, way, it's very far down. Big gorge. And they've got to go busting across that. And they're trying to hurry, you know, because they've got a little bit of head start, but they want to get across it before these things go here so they can cut the bridge. Smart thing. Makes sense to do that. And they're running through and they're making it there. And as they're getting across, the bridge, of course, breaks because... If I'm anything, it's predictable. <laughs> so the bridge breaks, and if they all grab onto it, and they swing, and they hit the wall, and they're falling down, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's at that point that Draven actually ends up saving people. Artemis, of course, she's the one that falls down at the very end, and she's holding on to Michael. Michael's holding on to her kind of thing, and he's got his legs wrapped in the rope, because he's very agile. And Dandy's up higher, and she's trying to climb down, but every time she does, the wood breaks, and she's running the risk of the ladder beneath her that Michael's holding on to breaking. Um, it's at this point that basically Draven comes in to save the day. He basically, you just see, everybody just sees something go flying, like something dropped next to them. And then he's literally uses his hands and got long nails, not, you know, cloth, but he's able to dig into the rock kind of thing. Half man, half bear, half pig. <laughs> man, bear, pig. <laughs> That's hilarious, Jim. I didn't even think about that. You know, there's no pig involved, but now that, I, now that you've made that reference, I wish I'd have done it. I wish I would have done that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but Draven basically goes down the bottom and saves Artemis kind of thing and uh, helps everybody up. But he, he basically like 
it's like putting his fingers into the rock and climbing up. And it was just, this was a spot where I was showing that he's still strong during the day because uh, it was more daytime. That's why he wasn't with them and they were running because they, they were camping through the night when the things attacked. Uh, but he shows up in time to basically save them. He's still strong, but when he gets to the top, there's like a little tiny bits of just whiffs of smoke coming off of his skin. Nothing bad, but you can tell he's not happy. He's not super comfortable about it. Uh, but he ends up kind of saving the day stuff and saves everybody's life. And that was one of the events that happened during that time. The second thing that we need to address that's happening during that time is something I'm very happy about, something I really enjoyed. And uh, some of you may think it's predictable. But we'll see. Now that they are not going home, the tribals very, very immediately fall under, okay, tell us what to do, Draven. Shastra's gone. We were told, you're in charge. Um, and Draven doesn't like that very much. He doesn't like giving orders and such. He's never been a militant type person. Trained military, but not... He doesn't like the, that leadership role. That's not his thing. Um, he's more of a loner kind of guy. But um, he's basically like, okay, well, I'm just getting out a lot. And I'm not always here, but I'll with the group sometimes while I'm here. Your job is to make sure these people stay alive till we get to where we're going to. And they take that seriously. They're like, that's what we're doing anyways. But now that that's the prime directive, 100%. Artemis, Michael, and Dandy. We're going to make sure that they get there. Um so there's that. Uh, let's see here. Lending engine to just turn day instantly also for night. Yeah, I definitely would have. Again, that's why a uh, card game, I thought of an option as there's a time clock type thing. I have so many different options for different ways to do games. I need like five Kickstarters. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so they're, they're like, okay, we do that. And no one takes that more seriously than little one hit Tevin. And Artemis can't seem to get a moment alone. He is constantly following her around, asking her questions about her life, where she's from. Do elves really live a long time? Because he's not familiar with elves. And, you know, he just pops up and, and like, literally she's like, listen, I can go to the bathroom, man. You need to stay here. <laughs> I think, it's like, I'm, I'm going to go bathe. Dandy and I are going to go to this lake and have a rest. And he's like, okay, Dandy's with you. I'll wait here. And then as soon as she's back, he's like, I'm here again. And he's always trying to be around her all the time. And... Artemis is in a spot because she realizes that he's getting really, really clingy and like always making sure she eats first and, you know, do you need me to fluff your pillows? You know, all that kind of stuff. And Artemis is like, I'm a several hundred year old elf and this is like a 12 year old boy. Probably not going to work out. Um, but at the same time, you know, someone's first crush and they're in the middle of a quest, she definitely doesn't want to make things hurt the little kid's heart, right? Doesn't want to mess with him in that regard. And the young lady who was playing Artemis, I was just constantly saying how much he doted and, and all the looks. And he's, every time she looked, he was looking at her and he'd look away kind of stuff. And, uh, and she was, I just built it up so, you know, she knew that I was going to put her in the position where she had to, uh, she had to break this kid's heart. Um... And so she was trying to be careful not to let that happen, to never be away from Dandy and Michael. She she didn't think he'd do it in front of other people. But sure enough, I set up a situation where she's gathering some wood for this. She just happens to get a little bit further away, and she hears a noise, and she turns, and there's Tevin right there next to her. Um, and she's like, oh, I've got to get this wood back to the fire. He's like, wait, please. I have to tell you something very important. 
And Arms is like, oh God, here comes the moment. And the young lady again playing it, I could see her sitting there, the dread on her face, because I was going to make her RP this. Um, and he's sitting there and he's going on. He's like, you know, I've been watching you and you're just, you're beautiful and your holy aura and, you know, you're such an awesome, you're so friendly, you're so sweet and, you know, everybody looks up to you and this and that. And, and, um, I have had feelings I didn't understand at first because I know I'm young, but I know I'm becoming a warrior. I'm becoming more of a warrior the, the more we're on this trip. And he's had a couple scenes where he's actually got a hit on somebody. So he feels like he's starting to pull his weight and he's, he, he's talking himself up about his courage and such. And through his broken calm, which is pretty good common, but it's, it's still broken. You know, he's, he's like a very strong, um, very courageous, uh, never runs away from fights and such. And Artemis keeps trying to cut. And he's like, no, no, wait, wait, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. And, just, and she's sitting there and I'm watching the young lady on the couch as I'm doing this, just like, oh, because I'm, I'm laying it on so thick. So thick. And he, and he finally gets to the end and he drops down to his knee and he looks up to her and he sees a tear in his eye. And looking at her, he says, he goes, I know that I am not worthy. And I know that you've never thought of me in this way. But I will regret it the rest of my life if I don't at least ask. Can you teach me more about the gods? What you can do, the ability you have, the closest you have with the deity... I felt that power and that magic coming from you. I've seen what it can do and how it can help people and how it can change lives. And we don't have that in my, my village and my people. And to be able to bring something like that, I know that I'm not worthy to ask this, but can you teach me? Oh, she was super relieved. Totally was building up like he was going to ask her to be his girl and stuff. Built that up for like a week or two of role playing because all this story took several weeks of playing, right? And I w went into way more detail of all the stuff he did, but he was doting on her because the idea of clerics, something they didn't have, and he hearing and kept asking about her life. How did you clear stories about that? The more he learned, the more he felt drawn to that. And in that moment, as soon as he says that, Artemis clicks back, thinks of all the stuff, and she's like, I remember feeling that way. I remember when I wanted to know more. I felt pulled myself to the gods. And um, she, again, relieved, says yes. And they spend some time. They do some praying and some talking. She explains, you know, basically, the, you know, this is the life you're taking on, you know, to help people, this and that. You are sacrificing a lot of other things. Like, you know, I'm not saying you can't have a family and kids, but these will not, you're, you'll be married to God and so on and so forth and when it all comes down to it you have to ask him to accept you as one of his clerics I don't get to pick that that's up to between you and, and our Lord um, but if you're serious about this then you know on the next night we'll we'll do that we'll we'll I will show you what needs to be done to, to see if you're if, if that's something that he'll accept and sure enough um, they went back and they didn't exactly say everything that was going on. They didn't say what he wanted to do because if he did, he was embarrassed if he got turned down. He didn't want to come back and tell the other that he wasn't worthy kind of a thing. So he, he asked that until they knew for sure. Um, but they did tell Dandy and Michael. And Dandy and Michael are like, okay, yeah, we'll, 
we'll keep an eye on these guys and let you guys have some time to slip away so you can do that. But they go out and they have a little prayer thing and she, you know, does her stuff and prayers and talks to him about things. And, you know, and he basically goes into a prayer thing and starts praying to Tavian and so on and so forth. And it takes a while, but eventually Artemis can kind of feel that same magic she has around him and knows that he's been accepted. And he opens up and he, his eyes and he's, he's been like, you know, at the time thinking and uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, why am I forgetting the word? You know, you sit back and you just clear your mind and think of stuff. I can't think of the word. Uh, but he's doing that kind of stuff and just praying in his head and such. And he uh, eyes open. He's just crying down his face and he's got this huge smile on his face. And uh, sure enough, Artemis can tell that he's been accepted basically by Tavian uh, as, as one of his followers. And so Artemis, part of a spell that almost any cleric has is the ability to produce a holy symbol. Something I'm, it's quite common. I'm not saying it's a D and D thing, but it's something that I have. Basically, create. Uh, they can basically take their holy symbol and they can basically duplicate it to give it to another. So if you lose your holy symbol in your cleric, which can happen in a fight or a battle, it's possible to get another one. Um, but if you don't have a holy symbol to to basically split it from, it's more involved. You have to have specific things to make the first one. Uh, but once you have the first one, you can duplicate. And so this is something she's done many times in her own temple back in Serenity is people have come and we want to be, well, I should say many times, several times. So she knows the process and been involved with it at other temples where she was teaching and across these adventures. And so she she definitely sees that. And, and part of the spell is it won't work if Tavian declines it. Right? She's making. She can only make a holy symbol of her type too. That's the other thing that's a, a specific to that. She can't make one for a cleric of light or a cleric of war. She can only make them. Her god is allowing here to do this because he's letting you give it to someone else who's the faithful, or for herself in that situation. And he was approved. And when they return back to the camp. Michael and Dandy and even Draven's there. He didn't know what was going on because he wasn't there at the beginning of it. And he was just told to hang out, give Artemis some time. He, her and Kevin are working on something. He comes back and he's wearing that holy symbol. And the the first, the all the uh, tribals are like, did, did he steal that from Artemis? Oh no, she's got hers. Like at first they're like, what is he doing with her? Because <laughs> they've all seen her wearing it. It's her magical amulet. Wears it around her neck. And it starts to dawn that he's wearing one too. And he goes and starts talking in his language. And... They all get very excited, patting him on the back, and like, this is a big deal. Meditating. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> Knew it was an M word. Couldn't think of it. Uh, but this is a big deal because, I mean, at this point, they don't know where, where, where the prophet is, but this is someone who now kind of speaking for a god. Not the prophet. They're not trying to say, oh, good, we're replacing Shastra, but it does give them, oh, the gods haven't abandoned us during these times. Because you can imagine that. You know, here we're trying to do these things. The God told us to do these quests, and then half, a chunk of our people got killed because of this. You know, did we do something wrong? Or is what we're doing right now wrong? No one's told us. We're just doing the best we think we can. But to see that one of their people was accepted by God to the point that he's going to have healing abilities. Because they've seen Artemis heal. They've all been hurt in battle at this point, and they've seen Artemis do that. For some one of their kind to have that kind of an ability and bring that into their people, mind-boggling. They've never had that type of healing before. So this is a big deal. And, you know, it's, you're pretty proud of the kid. This is one of their people, you know, who, who pulled this off. And, and he tells the story. I went and the God accepted me. And like, you talked to him? He's like, I felt like he was there. I didn't exactly, you know, he didn't say hi. But, you know, we, you know, I could sense the God was looking. And they're like, this is serious. I can't wait. When we do find our beloved Shastra, 
because they're holding on, you know, the fact that maybe Daedalus has taken her as a, a kidnapped her. That's what they're hoping and going to try to use her against Draven. They've talked about this. And they're hoping they can free her, which is another reason why the tribals have hung around, because they feel like that's part of the quest they were given by Shastra may lead to them saving her. So that's what they're hoping. Nobody, no bad news kind of thing at this point. And uh, so there's that. So at this point, uh, she has some cleric robes in the chest of holding, but they're her size. <laughs> and he's, he's not that much smaller than her, but they don't want to jump into battle with this kid wearing a floofy robe. Like if he was doing the running thing in a robe that was too big, that wouldn't have worked out well. So she's like, we'll figure something out for that. Right now, that stuff doesn't matter. You know, you got your amulet, you've got it in your heart, your clothes aren't important. But you got to throw that bow away. Cleric of healing now. He knew that. That was part of the thing. You can't use weapons of this type, so on and so forth. Um, Draven goes and basically gets him, and they make him a, a quarter, a, a staff for him. Artemis uses quarter staff, and he probably has a little bit of knowledge in that, but he has to learn how to fight with that as well. And that's something that some of the tribals actually would know, how to fight with a, a staff or a long stick, so he can even start training with his own people on that. Um, training that he wasn't getting before because it wasn't important, but now that that's all he can use, he really needs that. Because he, he gives basically his dagger and his bow to his people, and he's like, I can't use these anymore, now I'm a man of healing. But I can bonk things if you can teach me to bonk things. That was a, what we used to say about Artemis. It's like, Artemis, are you going to bonk something? I could bonk. I know how to bonk. Give me a minute. I'll bonk something. She would charge into battle and try to bonk something and do more damage to herself than anyone else. Uh, but <laughs> Stop bonking things. Stay in the back and heal. <laughs> I can't tell how many times I've heard someone yell that. Um, sometimes a character played by the same person <laughs> would yell at her herself, you know, which is I love doing that when they, they cross talk. But at this point, Tevin is now a literal level one cleric of Tavian, of a healing. Um, they know a little bit more about Draven. They know his story. And they know what they're up against. And they're on the quest to kill Draven's brother, or destroy his brother, Daedalus, before Daedalus does more bad things. Um, but first, they have to find a magical kingdom where they will see the light. And that is where we will start off next week. Uh, finding the Magical Kingdom. Because we're right at two hours and 30 minutes, pretty much, and that is the time we like to keep it to. Um, so, hopefully, uh, you guys enjoyed some of this story. Today was a lot of... Uh, a big chunk of it was Draven's backstory, but it was important to have that knowledge to, to know what we were doing moving forward. Um, I enjoyed teasing people, making think that Tevin, little one-hit Tevin, was going to uh, try to marry Artemis, uh, but then switch that up, because I switched it up on them. They had no idea what was coming, and I had a blast messing with the PCs there. Um, so it was a lot of fun kind of having that little turn of events. And I try to do that stuff occasionally. Another big thing that I do when I'm, when I'm storytelling is I try to plant seeds. I will mention something off the cuff, something that's not important, and the players will forget about it 10 minutes later. But I put it there because a year from now, in my life, I'm going to come back, and that's going to be an overwhelmingly important part to another adventure. Um, and they always enjoy that. They always like it when I, they can call back to something and be like, oh my god, I remember that. 
that was that was so unimportant at the time but now i see how important it is in the scale of what we're doing right now so i like to do a lot of stuff like that and plant seeds and i've done some of that today which makes me happy uh, Teresa says, enjoyed it. Is next Sunday a Merge Worlds Day? Yes. So with Merge Worlds now, we're going to do Merge Worlds three weeks in a row. This is the first week. And then on the fourth week is the uh, members monthly, members only stream. Because the membership program is part of the Only Draven Gaming channel. One of the big perks of that is a monthly members only stream. We usually do Jackbox or things like that. Uh, just kind of get together. It doesn't stream. No one ever gets to see it. Uh, it's streamed only to the members, uh, and it's just a chance for me to kind of hang out with them and uh, you know, just appreciate that they participate in that program and, and the way that they uh, help support the channel. And again, I pour, appreciate everybody. You know, I do community days. We do Jackbox with everybody and such, but a members-only stream is, is an important perk to me at least once a month. Um, but I realized I had a Sunday in between that I wasn't doing much with, um, and the last thing I can ever have is free time. So I decided we'd start doing Merge Worlds three times a month because I'm really enjoying telling the story. And I'm already working on the next part of the story that never got played. I've always known what's going to happen next. I've said that many times. And I'm going to be doing that moving forward as well. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Glitched Vision. Dropped a quick hello and letting you know that I, uh, just because I've been silent in chat doesn't mean I'm not here enjoying the story. As I've done since I first discovered this awesome game. Oh, that is awesome. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you, you mentioning that. That is awesome. I'm glad that you're enjoying it. Uh, I can definitely see a lot of times that there's people watching, and I only see three or four people chatting, but 10 or 12 watching. Um, so it's always the hope that there's someone in the background just enjoying the story for what it is. So thank you so much. It is awesome knowing that you're out there and that you're enjoying it. Thank you so much for that. This is probably my favorite thing that I do on the channel. I say that all the time. Uh, it means the world to me that I get to share this with you guys and that... Not only do I get to share this in this world, I can continue to grow it. And even though we're eventually going to get to a part that I never actually played, I know the story. I'm going to get to keep telling that story. I get to finish what I never got to finish. So that is very, very awesome. So I appreciate that. Uh, Jim says, this was awesome. Can't wait to hear more about Draven. You're master of planting seeds. That's why I went back to rewatch all this. Literally, Gardner, you are Yoda. <laughs> appreciate that. Glitch says, I tend to uh, listen while I play Minecraft or some other random game. It's part of my schedule now. Oh, that's awesome. And that's, uh, that's kind of uh, how I do that as well. I, I, a lot of times playlists and podcasts, what I do when I'm playing Minecraft and getting ready for Minecraft streams and building other things. So that is awesome. Uh, Princess Luna, when you have the moon sun, uh, you, spoke interest, uh, you spark my interest. Oh, excellent. Yes. Uh, the uh, fire moon is the symbol. I mean, I'm going to get it redone, but I've got like a fire moon tattoo. I'm, I want to get it fixed. Um, the guy who did it did not do what I was looking for. I want it to look more like the actual symbol you see uh, that was designed by Shadowcast, who's our artist for the channel. Um, Fire Moon is, is super important to the story. As many of you know, if you've been listening, the Brothers Fire Moon is what this was all based on originally. Um, so I'm looking to that. We talked about, because um, we're looking for a new donation goal, and we talked about me getting using building up enough money to go get the ODG symbol tattooed on my chest. And I thought about throwing that in there. If people, if that's something people think would be interesting, some people, somebody suggested it in the discord direct to me that that would be a cool thing. So I was going to throw it by people, see if that'd be interesting to get the uh, only Draven symbol tattooed here. This side's going to be a Punisher symbol. I'm saving that side, but this side uh, could be that. So um, that shows you care. Oh yeah. And I, I, this was my, the first year um, my wife and I were dating for my, the first birthday I had while we were together, we'd been dating, about eight months at that time, uh, 
she wanted to get me a tattoo. My wife's got like 19 tattoos. My wife's all tatted up. Um, and I never had one. I've always wanted one. And I always knew that was going to be my first one. And the guy we went to drew it. And then he, then, you know, he sent me a picture. This is what it's going to look like. And then when they did it, it didn't look much like that at all. So I'd like to redo this, and but use Shadow's actual design. The actual, the, have it redone the same. Um, that'll save up and do myself eventually. But I thought that the ODG symbol here would be a cool, hey, everybody, like, I'm investing in this channel, channel so much, I'm going to put it on my body. Because I am. <laughs> this is a, meant to be a permanent thing for me again. Always hoping one day this becomes a full-time gig. But whether it does or not, I'm always going to be making content. I just enjoy hanging out with you guys too much. But, all right. So we've, uh, we've covered the Merge World stuff. We've got that done. Next week, we talk about the Magical Kingdom. Which, in itself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you... Um, is built upon an adventure played by completely different people. I had a small group of people that wanted to play an adventure. I put it in Merged Worlds. And they had their own story not connected with anything. And that's what's helped provide the area we're, and, and the stuff we're going to look at next, built upon that. Again, I try to make sure that one way or another, everything gets linked as part of the bigger picture. Everything gets its moment in the sun. So I'm excited to get into that because... Uh, Talk about planting seeds. <laughs> um, so, so what is it about? Uh, so the basic premise is that um, it's a Dungeon Dragon story campaign that I've been running for 30 years. Uh, the basic premise is there were two brothers. Um, a magical event happened that destroyed every world in existence and then yanked them all back together in one big world. And not every piece came. And now there's this new massive world, larger than anything that's ever existed. And people are trying to figure out, how did I get here? How do I get home? Is there a way back home? Do I start a new life here? And then it's the other, the other characters um, are basically, that's where we enter the next generation of characters, trying to figure out what happened, what caused it, and is there a way back home? And building upon that. Um, so yes, I've been, I've been playing D&D for many, many years, and I've always wanted to share the story. So I'm I'm doing it here on YouTube. Uh, every Usually three Sundays out of the month, uh, I do a story stream like we're doing right now. And then it's also available on iTunes and Spotify as an audio podcast for free if people would rather just listen to it. Um, same name, Merged Worlds, all one word. M-E-R-G-E-D-W-O-R-L-D-S. I do always like to ask if you use Spotify or iTunes and you wouldn't mind swinging by, giving it a follow, um, that would be awesome. Uh, just like YouTube, the more follows and things get, the more Spotify and iTunes advertise it to get get it in front of more people's eyes. Uh, if you want to leave a review, feel free. I'm not asking anybody to leave a review for something that they've not listened to, but if you have listened to it, like to leave a review or a rating, that would genuinely uh, be appreciated as well. Um, but if not, I just like you guys coming hanging out here. And I've already seen a bunch of people have clicked like today on this. I appreciate that. We had someone throw a donation in. That was also appreciated. So uh, I really, really, really thank you all for coming and letting me tell this story. But I have to get up relatively early to go to the doctors tomorrow to find out if my surgical debacle is finally over. Uh, so I'm going to slide off here and get a little bit of sleep. But thank you all so much for coming by. I am overwhelmingly appreciative that you share your time with me, um, especially in this Merge World thing and letting me share this story. Uh, and again, a special thank you to my members. Again, your participation in that program uh, definitely helps support the channel and lets me add new things to it and bring new stuff to the table. So I thank you so much for that. And an extra special thank you to my moderators for without whom I am nothing. 
So you all have yourselves a wonderful day, and hopefully we'll see you back again next Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for another episode of Merge Worlds. Thank you all for coming. Have a great day.